podcast. Yeah, we just we just called Siri a creepy cunt because <clears throat> she uh, she's listening to us and she's uh, did she answer or did she just respond? No, she, like she, you said, serious, and it just came on because if I say, "Hey Siri," dude, that didn't even fucking work. She shit. recognizes my voice. Fuck this shit. I just I, I just uploaded the new fucking iOS, so I guarantee this thing's. Gonna if you get all that fucking New World Order surveillance, you deserve to be oh, oppressed, you fuck idiots. You Ron. <laughs> flip phones. Only flips are real. Only flips. <laughs> flips for life. The few and the proud. Okay. I'll come up with some more slogans. Flips for life. Crazy. Yeah. Fo- I got phone pride. Hey, Ron. Hey, man. Who's this, next? This Who the fuck it. are we got, talking I mean, about? I only have a few minutes because I got to get home uh, and pick up my daughter. From I got to see accept. And you got to see accept. You got to accept accept. I- I'm going to accept that. I can accept that. I can accept, accept it with Mark from uh, TT Quick. Accept accept. <laughs> <laughs> they're great though with Mark I'm looking forward to it It'll be fun Oh they're fantastic Me and my friend Tom are going It's fucking great Should be cool It's fucking good Tom's, Tom's down here at the bar Doing some work Yep it's He looks very He's got his glasses He looks studious Computer programming It's very exciting And uh, you're listening to The Automatic Crowd The St. Vitus Bar Podcast Recorded right here At St. Vitus Bar It's looking very clean today Cleaned it up a little bit The bathroom looked good The bathroom I actually good. noticed They always look okay I mean Tom said the bathroom always looks good. See, there you go. I, there's probably some ladies who might disagree with that, but I mean, yeah, that's, that's okay. whoever sits down might disagree. But well, it's a, well, you know, what are you gonna do? You gotta go. You gotta go. What the fuck? It's a fucking metal bathroom. It's, I mean, it's the cleanest metal bathroom ever. Anyway, yeah, certainly. Whatever, whatever. I'm over it. <laughs> I'm over this conversation already. <laughs> Jesus Christ! On this podcast, we have Brad Talinsky. Yes. Brad Talinsky was the editor of Guitar World for 25 years. Um, and this is one of my favorite podcasts we ever did because the stories are fucking fantastic. Uh, and he, uh, he does, he's currently, he's written two books. One is called Light and Shade Conversations with Jimmy Page, which is fucking awesome. And the other one is called Play It Loud, which is a cultural history of the electric guitar. Um, and guitar making in general, which I... The um, history of the instrument, which he went into, I, mean, I had no clue on any of that. Yeah. It was fascinating, it, actually. It's, like, I, it's, uh, what was, fa- what was the most fascinating to me besides, like, uh, the little things that people did over the years to sort of improve upon the original, um, the design and model yeah. was, like, people like Eddie Van Halen and Steve Vai, who really took it to another level. So, you know, Eddie Van Halen had a tone in mind in his brain and like would hang around a guitar shop and learn how to work on guitars and did all this cool shit. And Steve Vai is the guy to blame for the seven, seven string guitar. <laughs> that fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and then turned the eight string guitar and then turned the nine string guitar. Cause if it wasn't for the seven string guitar, I don't think those other ones would exist, but you know, uh, we'll forgive him because Tosin Abasi is a nice kid. So I like him. Kid from animals is leaders. Yeah. He, he plays a lot. He plays an eight string. Yeah. But I mean, he's pretty. Were you here when they played? I was, yeah, I was. I, uh, he told us really funny Ingve Malmsteen stories right when he toured with them. Yeah. Did Ingve treat him like shit? Ingve treated everybody like shit. Well, yeah, that's why. Yeah, I'd be <laughs> stunned if it was anything different. Ingve. Ingve uh, was a dick to me when I was fifteen, and he's a dick in twenty seventeen. He, ni- he was nice to George and I. We met him, you know. Like he, I, I tried to explain. Maybe because you met him under the context of owning a metal club. I have no fucking idea. Well, were but, you just fanboying out? Oh, we were. I was fanboying. I mean, come on, it's it's Ingve, you know. But like, you know, Ingve is a huge 
plays a huge role as to why this place even exists. So, yes, that's you know, true. So You've told me the story. But, and that... but, the, uh, but at the same time, Ingbe is Ingbe, and you kind of like, eh, Ingbe, eh. Anyway. <laughs> if he didn't talk, he'd be, I'd like him a lot more. Oh, yeah, totally. I, the whole world would. Oh, that, that's true. You know, I mean. Yeah, he doesn't his... do himself any favors. No, definitely not. Because he alienates you personally, even, if you meet him. Not just, like, a guy who you read an interview and go, oh, that guy seems like a dick. You well, meet his, him, his and he's a complete on, on the, dick. On the Generation X tour, it said he wouldn't play with anybody else on stage. And he also uh, <clears throat> insisted on having, like, ten stacks. Oh, God. Which, did he headline? No, Steve Vai. It was That's, Steve I, Yeah, it was Steve Vai's thing, right? Yeah. So he, did, he had all those demands, even though he wasn't headlining. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, there was a whole bunch of things. Difficult right? human being. Like, you know... it. it you could tell, like, that Zach Wilde and Ingvar Malmsteen were, like, fucking oil and water, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. <laughs> now, Brad's a nice guy in the world, though, so Brad probably Brad wouldn't even Linsky. say anything about Ingvar. Uh, uh, oh, no, no, Brad, we, we tried to talk about Ingvar in this, but I was talking we more did about try. Tosin Abbasi is the one who had all those stories. I, I don't remember if we talked about Ingvar in this. I'm sure I asked. I mean, if... It's, uh, you had to have. But I'm it, sure it, it probably up. veered its way into Eddie Van Halen if we were going to talk about crazy people, so... Yeah. yeah. I, 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 this was recorded so long ago, I can't even remember, but I, I definitely want to push Brad's books because uh, they're both really, really great books, and he's a fascinating guy. Uh, he's a great guy. Yeah. He very down-to-earth, very humble. He does something called Backstory, which, um, which uh, is basically interviewing um, guitar players. Uh, it's usually streamed on guitarworld.com, uh, but it's, we did one here. with. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, from Metalocalypse, uh, Death Clock, um, Galacticon. Yep, his uh, new band. That was super fun. and uh, That was a great time. We almost did Guar, which I didn't tell you about. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. You mentioned it the other night. Yeah, uh, but it's just... After you declined it. <laughs> yeah, it was just too tight. And, and like, honestly, without Dave Rocky, it's kind of weird. And Dave know, Rocky would have been one of the greatest people to... I just, like, I just kept thinking about, like, well... And I'm playing that night. It's, it's October 30th and uh, whatnot. Like, Primitive Weapons is open for Helms Lee here. And I was just like, oh, I, like, I want to do it, but there's going to be all this trouble with costumes. And, like, and like what the fuck are we going to talk to Guar about as far as, like, Guitar World is concerned? In relation to Guitar World, I can't think of almost anything. Right. So that was, my, that was the other yeah. thing. I, was just, I, knew, I, man, I know you're a huge Guar. I am a huge Guar fan. Like, I, and, uh, I, but I was just like, ah. but I feel I do feel like the heart and soul of the band absolutely passed with him. I think it's I respect why they're continuing it. I and think they, I think I, I think I would do it if I didn't have to deal with a show afterwards. Right. Because the next night we're doing Bruce and and uh, and Ghost. We have a show, a Halloween show, a, an EDM show, but it's an EDM show, so it's like it's not EDM. Sorry, I don't know what they call Ghost. What, what that's supposed to be? It's like EDM that metal kids like. Yeah, that's like a whole new thing. Is it synthwave? I don't know what the fuck it is. I, I'm out of touch. But I know we have dance nights here that, that we do that stuff. But wait, how lame am I? How lame <laughs> do I sound right now? I should know everything. Like, hey, hey, don't you do production, dude? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I, t- I totally do production. But you sound for out of nights. touch, man. Yeah, I just buy shit, and I'm like, hey, <laughs> you, you need this fucking really ridiculously expensive piece of equipment that makes your life really easy? Like, uh, cool, man. That's great. I listen to your stuff. I have no idea why it's important. But But that's cool I mean, you know Yeah, it is what it is I'm sitting around listening to a new quicksand record Going, hey, this is is better than I thought it was going to be Is it better than you thought it would be? Yeah, no, I'm super into it actually Is it a grower? It's a grower, right? It took me a minute The first, 
And everybody's like, what the fuck is quicksand? Who is quicksand? Yeah, why did we talk about this with Todd? That would have been a little more relevant. No, this is Brad Kalinske. Yeah, no, that's why I'm saying. We should have done this with Todd. No, but it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have. We would have had to talk about GB. or Expand your minds, guitar people. Listen to fucking quicksand. Buy slip. Buy slip and learn something. Dude, it's not just guitar people. It's our fans, Ron. Oh, yeah. It's our loyal base. Our loyal base. The millions and millions. fucking thankful. I am. I appreciate you for all you've done. That we get... And downloads and fucking advertising money. Oh, we get that? He's such a nut. No. <laughs> oh, oh, now he perks his head up. Oh, there's money. Oh, five cents. Sick. Awesome. Anyway. I do it for the free water. No, the quicksand. <laughs> the, uh, the, the quicksand uh, record is, um, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it's not out yet. And they're playing as a three-piece <laughs> this tour. <laughs> They are playing as a three-piece, but we won't get into that. I'm, I'm too close no. to that situation. To, to All the to best to everyone involved. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that uh, still, I just got my ticket for Irving. I didn't want to ask Walter. Oh, you are going on. Yeah. I, oh, I wrote to Christian because I, I wrote to him about getting Sacred Reich, and I was just like, oh, you know, hey, about quicksand? He's like, he's, dude, everybody in my... You know, he's like, my mom asked for tickets. <laughs> I love his mom. His mom is legitimately cooler like than mom, his, three quarters of the people like, walking the store. My mom and my brother asked for tickets to the show. <laughs> Ryan. I was like, all right, dude, I'm, I got you. It's, it's, yeah. it's fine. I, you know. But his I, mom's role so to quickly. So I put it out there very subtle, subtly that uh, I was looking for a ticket. In, uh, and my good friend, Julian Vasquez, from, uh, well, formerly of the, the Mighty Still Suit. Yes. Who we might get back together. Uh-oh. Are you kidding? Yeah. Well, uh, Type 11, my old band, is looking to do a show at the end of December. We're trying, at least. It's hard because everybody's all over the country. And I wrote, uh, I wrote some new material because we're going to release old material. Not that anybody cares, but we do. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Well, I know you didn't. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's okay. Um, <laughs> I was a big era type 11 fan. No, you weren't. No yes, was. I was. There's like six kids Go look at photos and, from Deja and, One. I'm there. And like... <laughs> Mary Ellen. I and like absolutely Michael. was a fan. Yeah. Uh, well, anybody who was a fan besides you, I just tried to push away by Tara, talking that's shit. Tara. Tara was a fan. That's true. Yeah. yeah. All right. There I think you. even Ed was a fan, even though. He, yeah, Would he admit it? I always remember. <laughs> yeah. No, he will. He will. I remember those shows at Brownies were like fucking parties. They were great. But uh, oh, the ones with Sam I Am and uh, uh, yeah. no, they were yeah. Well, Sam I Am Shades Apart. I remember that. That was two nights. Um, yes. But at that point, we could sell the place out on our own. So it was, you know. Yeah, you had your own base here. That Yeah, and we had a big drinking crowd. So Mike Studo loved us, the guy who won brownies. Um, yeah, because hardcore kids had reached 21. <laughs> and then, well, and they weren't straight edge anymore. I was, I was 12 beers in by the time I hit the stage. So Yeah. Hey, what's up? You, I, used to be, I used to be fucking quick. Back in those days, like, I was like a fucking improv, improv comedian. Nowadays, like, somebody yells something, on, I'm on stage, I'm like, you're stumped. Deer in headlights. Rewind. It's a couple of seconds. And I walk off stage and I'm like, oh, I have a great comeback. <laughs> I just threaten to kill anyone. Whenever someone heckles me, I just threaten to like, kill them and their families and they usually shut up. Half the time it used to be already Philly. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But even that but you was. You don't a, want to start an on stage banter thing with Artie Philly. Well, I, well, he would start with me and I would just threaten to murder him and he'd shut up. <laughs> First of all, because I wouldn't even know it was him half the time. And just. When I'm singing, I tend to be in a certain I mean, mindset that's not don't, don't peaceful. Don't fuck the guy with the mic because you're going to lose. But the, the, uh, and I'm pissed when I'm singing. I'm not happy. I'm not reasonable. So get away from me. It's, it's a true emotional release. It is. I appreciate it. I must beat up Eddie Reyes one night in Low Band because he's, <laughs> he, re- he yelled, shut up and bleed 
Doing a leech implant show. That's a great lyric. I go well, because you know back then I was a little self-destructive and I was I guess gave a twenty-second diatribe what a song was about, and he yelled "Shut up and bleed!" and I didn't know who it was, so I asked the whole room who it was because I was going to kick their fucking head in, and the whole room got quiet and a few people pointed to Ed, and Ed came up to me like almost crying, "Dude, it was me! I was just kidding." Oh, I was like, "All right, Ed, mean. it's this cool." This is not the second intro we've mentioned Ed in. Yeah. Um, Ed's a recurring theme somehow. Yeah, we love you, Ed. We do love you. Um, I haven't we, seen you in years. Miss you. The uh, yeah, but yeah, we're gonna we had we recorded about twenty five songs that never came out. They were all are you kidding? That many for. fucking songs? Yeah, they were all paid for by major labels. It was all like major label deals. Oh, so uh, when they were recording you, deals. you were recording like demos? Yeah. Uh, okay. It was after Amplified Rock came out, and we uh, were being courted by all sorts of majors, and they all passed, and that was why. But I, you got to keep those recordings, or how does that work? Twenty years later, well, fuck them. Fuck them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what's the plan with all these? Era Type 11 things. They're what just, better place to promote them than Brad's podcast? Yeah. Just put them on Spotify. <laughs> Spotify and and I, I wrote... Get, I wrote that little, get that Long Island kid to press them on vinyl. Maybe, yeah. We'll see. I mean, I... I put a download I wrote, card. I wrote a bunch of stuff for Unwed, which is another... The band I played in with, uh, with Jason from Hot Water that put out one album a couple of years ago. And so I, we, we had written basically an entire new record and... Uh, but this time I had written vocals for everything and, and uh, then they all moved to Florida and the band... Discontinued. So Unwed is done. Yeah. So I basically was like, oh, well, I got these tunes, and maybe, maybe I'll make a solo record. No one cares. So <laughs> I, uh, I did. I'll do something else that nobody cares about. But at least, at least it'll be combined in with other things. So it's and, combined uh, with your past. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to be. I don't have to have a fucking. So story. what's the lineup of Type Eleven now? Uh, it's it's Phil, me, and Adam. But uh, where's Phil living though? Phil lives in Maine. That's uh, what I thought. Adam lives in San Diego, uh, and Steve from Game Face has been our drummer. Well, he was a drummer at the end of instruction, and so Adam really doesn't want to play with anybody else. So that's what we. So it's convenient to rehearse with you guys in all different states. No, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, the songs are already fucking written. Yeah, it's true. The new stuff and the new stuff I I put together enough that everybody has an idea. I might go to Dallas, or I might have Steve fly here, and we'll just do drum tracks. But anyway, cool. The uh, yeah, not that anybody cares in any way, shape, or form. Doesn't really matter. At all, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's uh, that's the that's the that's the unimportant side of my life that's happening at the moment. Um, yeah, besides the primitive record, which is being mastered right now. Anyway, enough about <laughs> me. Let's talk about me. Somehow we made it about me again. No, uh, this this podcast is fucking awesome. It's uh, it, it's Brad Talinsky, and um, I can't say enough good things about him. Check out backstory. Check out his books. Uh, Light and Shade Conversation with Jimmy Page Play It Loud And um, Yeah check out Everything Brad's done And I want to thank yeah. him For everything he's done for us And uh, I gotta go home Pick up my kid uh, Yeah I gotta go see Accept ah, Thanks for listening To The Automatic Crowd uh, Live here at no, Not live But recorded here At St. Vitus Bar <laughs> And uh, I'll see you soon Ron I'll see you very soon Peace Later An individuality what was, uh, Yeah so we're, we're uh, Welcome Brad Brad Talinsky Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, dude. Get a little closer to that microphone bit, buddy. Okay. I'll take uh, my uh, $4 flip phone away from you. Um, <laughs> tends the, to ring. Uh, we were just talking about being a music journalist because uh, that's what Brad is or was is. I mean, I don't know if you consider yourself an author or a music journalist anymore. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all and everything. All, uh, all, all of all the above and, and much, much more. Uh, yes. Complex. <laughs> Lover. Just, just trying to make a buck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. That's the art of the hustle. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Aren't we all? 
So, yeah, Brad, uh, Brad uh, is joining us this week, which I'm very excited about because I've, uh, I've been waiting to have you on the podcast because you have met so many people and had so many cool experiences and have written uh, multiple books, um, one about Jimmy Page, which is called what? Uh, Light and Shade, Conversations with Jimmy Page. Okay. And he came into our record store last week. Did he really? But I was off. He, yeah. he came in with his daughter. He was in town last week. No, Scarlett? it wasn't his daughter. It was his girlfriend, dude. Oh, really? Yeah, they're both named Scarlett. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Which, uh, uh, if there was an assumption it was his daughter. Maybe there was an age discrepancy. Yeah, oh, there was a big age discrepancy. Yeah, but it's not. I saw yeah. the picture of him. It wasn't. It's definitely yeah. not the Scarlett that I know. And oh, okay. Yeah. And that anybody that knows their Alistair Crowley knows. The Scarlet Woman. The Scarlet Woman. There you go. It's, uh, uh, he's, st- he's, still, he's still in that. She's a, he's keeping it real. His huh? daughter's. She's really, I did a whole tour that she was on. She was dating the guitar player. She's a great photographer. Yeah, she is. And uh, really sweet, beautiful. She looks, her mother was a French model, so pretty sure that she, she has like a very French look to her. There's a lot of Zeppelin rumors going around the last two days. Really? Uh, yeah, there's, there's rumors that they're going to play Vegas. And Robert Plant's page went black and says any time now. So the buzz is out that they might be no, playing. I'm kind of disappointed. Uh, I, I mean, that's that's the word on the Robert street. Robert Plant has to be one of the most a guy with so much fucking integrity that it's like like he just uh, he, he's just a journeyman. He's cool. Like I like I like the fact that he knew his voice was shot to sing Led Zeppelin songs. So he went and did like you know fucking shit with Alison Krauss and like did stuff that fit his age and also his ability at this point. I think he just does what he wants. I think there's a lot of guys who are rich like that. He's a feather in the wind. I think. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if he can still get his lemon squeezed. (laughs) I've heard. I've heard that that he's he's pretty prolific at that. Oh, well, fantastic! Good for him. Good Mm -hmm. good for him. Viagra, Cialis, exactly. Whatever works. Whatever Mm works. Um, So yeah, Brad, and you have a new book out, which is kind of why you're here to promote that. Uh, It's called Play It Loud. Yep, play it loud. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's the subtitle? Uh, I don't even know. It's so long. It's like yeah, the, 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 it, the but, but essentially and culture and something. The the yeah, I I don't I can never remember the <laughs> subtitle to the damn thing. Uh, <laughs> that that was and I questioned it a bunch of times. Like, are you guys sure you want the subtitle to be this long? But essentially, it's the history. Uh, it's sort of the cultural history of the electric guitar or something. And that, the technical history of it as well. And, and the technical history, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, like, it, I personally, I'm, I'm three-quarters of the way through. Um, I know I read three books at once, so it kind of goes slow on rotation. But uh, I got my books on the rotisserie. Um, what else are you reading? Um, Magicians of the Gods, nice. uh, Graham Hancock. Um, and uh, I just finished... Um, uh, them, which is uh, John Ronson, which is a conspiracy theory book. Um, yeah, I like, to, I like to read lots of lots I, of stuff at once. Um, oh, and the Phil Collins autobiography. I'm, so you're reading four I'm, books. At yeah, once. well, that one I read on tour. So okay. uh, you know. I'm the same way. I'm reading that right now. I've got in the used bookstore the comedy world of Stan Laurel. <laughs> Wow. Wow. <laughs> don't don't age deep. yourself too much here. Right? <laughs> Jesus. Wow. I've been, I've, I don't know, I had this weird obsession ever since I've been like, I don't know, like seven or eight with, with old comedies. It's just weird. Like so you still, you still find them funny? Uh, well, I, I think that Modern Times by Charlie Chaplin is 
one of the greatest pieces of art in the 20th century. Yeah. Is that the one where he gives a long speech dressed as no, Hitler? Or? No, 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 no. I have no, I have that, no idea. That one isn't so funny. You're going... You're, yeah. <laughs> Modern comedy, compared to old comedy, is an interesting thing because... Uh, Modern, I think old comedy was cornier, but a lot more witty because there was so much. There were a lot more rules and regulations, and you couldn't just go into vile stuff and cursing, which yeah, is the cheap way out. Soon. So you but had a really stand up didn't exist back then. So the comedy, you know, like like comedy changed drastically when comedy clubs started coming. About, of course, yeah, you know, and but even take Lenny Bruce, who broke all the rules, quote unquote. He's so tame by today's standards, but yet he broke all the taboos of the time, just the way. George Carlin did right after him. Who right. Oh, well, Bill Hicks. And Bill Hicks. I mean, I, the I, thing I, is that I, Carlin and Hicks still sound contemporary. And they, they don't well, sound more topical, to me. I, I guess. I, I have to completely urge both of you, your lives will be transformed as well as your audience, to go out and get a copy of Modern Times by Charlie Chaplin. It's a full-length silent movie. And it is as contemporary as anything that you're going to listen to, even though it has no cursing. It's it's a, it's an amazing How commentary. How old was it made? You know, uh, it was one of the last silent movies, but so it was 20s, like in, no, it's no, in the in the it was in I, I think no late thirties. <laughs> Obviously, the twenties. And, 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 and it's a commentary on how Back like the working days. guy gets sort of ground to the ground by uh, you know ground down by. Uh, by corporate America. By the system. Oh, okay. It's amazing. Well, that's it's certainly amazing. timely. It's yeah. That's timeless, actually. It's right up, it's right up your alley there. Uh, yeah, that's uh, up my alley. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a victim of it. So, yeah, the, the, so also Brad was the uh, editor of Guitar World magazine for 30 years. Yep. Um, and uh, a person whose name is very respected in the press world. Uh, very well known. I mean, you might know better than I do. I don't know. I don't know. Who he shook his hand like. Eh. I don't know who you were banging. I don't know what's going on. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I knew it when I did press. We knew Brad was a very revered person because everybody wanted to get in, into guitar world. Uh, and he's interviewed some incredible, a lot of incredibly famous and influential musicians. Um, uh, so play it loud. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I love about it, well, first I love it. I love it because I've been playing guitar since I was a little kid, and I didn't know fucking anything that's in this book. Like you know, so it basically goes through the history of uh, the early development of guitar and how it became, uh, how the first company started, and who's really the people who invented it. You know, everybody gives Les Paul his credit, but Les Paul was really just a guy who who uh, was you, that Gibson used to promote. There. So he was the marketing tool, yeah. per se? Yeah, he was fam- him and Mary Ford, they, they were famous musicians. They put out, it was his wife at the time, and they, he was a really well-known guy. And as Brad, is, Brad and I have spoken about this off microphone, that he was a great marketer of himself. Yes. And, and so that was why he gets so much credit. But there's a lot of other players in it. And um, it, what's, what I, I, I got past the part where um, they stopped manufacturing Les Pauls. Which was so fucking crazy. And, and the only reason it came back is because people like Eric Clapton started playing them. And then Eric Clapton became famous. And it became cool again. Right. And then they so started So when did it get phased again. out and when did it come back? It was late. You it was uh, 1960 was the last, I yeah, believe. Yeah. And then yeah. back in 68, 69? When cream started blowing up, Back? I guess. Yeah, when they started no. making it again. Dude. Was it later than that? It, it took a crazy amount of time before they figured out that this was, um, it was probably like the mid-70s. Wow. 
Yeah. Uh, when everybody was playing Les Pauls. And yeah. All the classic rock bands. All the classic rock bands. It took them that long? They didn't see the, the resurgence? They, uh, you know. Or did they just see it as archaic? No. What, what happened was uh, Gibson, there's a period of time when both Fender and Gibson were bought by these large corporate entities. So Fender entities. was bought by CBS and Gibson was bought by? This weird company, Norlin. Okay. And uh, they, uh, they, they basically were completely out of touch. The corporate masters were completely out of touch with the marketplace. And it just took them a really long time to hire see and find happening. the right people to right. see what was happening. And what was really funny is when they finally decided, when they finally figured out that they should bring back the Les Paul, okay, they, they brought them back with these... I'm going to get a little guitar nerdy here. Oh, please. With, with uh, different pickups, these mini humbucker pickups. Like if you see Pete Townsend, uh, later Pete Townsend on, on The Who, like the last tours with, with Keith Moon, he's playing a Les Paul and he's got these like mini humbuckers on his, on his Les so Paul. So they, do they look like a single coil? No they, no, they just like are sort of a smaller version of the humbucker. Okay. And they looked weird to me. And as a kid, I could never like figure out like why that was. And it turned out that Again, the, the, the corporation was, like, squeezing everybody so much that they had these sort of leftover mini humbuckers from and a bunch of... And they wanted to use them? Yeah, but from a bunch of... Uh, when when they, they came back, and they were, they were terrible. I mean, they, they, they sounded like shit. They weren't made very well. Were they selling it, well just because of the name and because of demand? Or were people just looking for the old ones because they were of, superior? Of course. Well, you know, it's, it's sort of a complicated story, but I'll, I'll try to give you sort of a concise version but it's because of how terrible um gibson and fender were during this sort of early mid-70s period that really gave rise to the custom guitar market because what happens is these guys would uh take in their les paul and they say you know i bought this new les paul and it's like it's like shitty how do i make it sound like a good les paul how do i make it sound like pete townsend or or jimmy page or something and there were guys like larry demarzio who later on did demarzio pickups who worked in like local new york shops who had to basically take these new instruments and and make them playable again yeah i mean uh and and the pickups were shit so larry's like I'm going to start making pickups so that these these new guitars actually sound like the old guitars. Right. And uh, it's the same way with Paul Reed Smith. That's how he started his guitar company is because what Fender and Gibson were doing in the mid-70s was so lame. And, you know, big-name players were looking for good instruments and they couldn't find any new ones. So it's all these like little guys started making them. It's the reason why Eddie Van Halen made his guitar. He he wasn't able to articulate oh, why. He modded, why he modded out his Strat. Well, but, what, what happened was Eddie was playing his guitars and he's like, you know what? He, these don't sound good. And, and he was just a kid out in California and didn't know all the politics and all the things that were going on. So he was like, well, you know, I can't get these guitars to sound the way I want to. So... Um, you know, I'm going to take a pick off a, a pickup off of this old guitar and put it on this, and I'm going to get a, a find to go out and find a fingerboard that feels good to me. And he started making his own guitars. I mean, that's how the whole second half of the electric guitar era started was because 
you know, it's like the, it mirrors the American auto companies, you know. They were making garbage cars yeah. during the 70s. Well, yeah, it does mirror it because I was just about to bring this up. The, the um, like, stuff like the Telecaster, which was the first, yeah. like, really mainstream uh, major production guitar made. Like, the Telecaster and the Les Paul and, like, uh, even the Flying V and the Explorer and the Firebird were all made by 1959. Yeah. And they haven't changed. Yeah. Like, they still, and they were all modeled after cars, 50s yeah. cars. So like, they had those sleek, weird-looking stuff, and, like, some of them had, uh, some of them were using, um, like, sparkle paint. Like, the gold top was, was modeled after cars. Yeah, well, they were using the DuPont colors that were made from custom cars. I mean, Leo Fender was sort of a car fanatic. I mean, that's why you ended up having the Jaguar, the yeah, Mustang. The, the Jaguar, yeah, the Jaguar, the Mustang, the Firebird, the Thunderbird. Yeah. They're all named after cars. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and it's, it's so funny to me, like, the Flying V, that came out in, in 1959. Yep. And it's, I think the, I, I read it, it sold 80 it sold 80, 80 fucking guitars. It was too it was, 80, 80. <laughs> it was too weird. Wow. It was and just the, too the, weird. Like, people weren't ready for it. The Explorer, or the, or the, I think it was the Explorer, sold like five or something insane. And, and yeah, and it only really made a comeback when glam metal started or like metal became a thing. And like those. That the, image and that style. Yeah, it was too weird. Cool. It was like, it was actually like the, those designs were incredibly forward thinking. Yeah. Uh, on a design level. Whereas like. You know, stuff like the Telecaster and, and whatnot and the Strat, they're, they're all, like, it's a 50s car. When you think about it, they don't remake fucking 50s cars, but they're still making guitars, you know, that look <laughs> like they did in the 1950s. So it's, it is it is timeless, and I guess it was way more efficient than 50s cars were because, you know, and they just improved upon the electronics and whatnot through the years, although they didn't even improve upon the no. electronics, did I they? Mean, they the, kind of skimped on them. The, the, elect, the electric guitar sort of had the misfortune... I mean, usually when, when somebody invents something, it takes time to develop and perfect. And, and the, 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 the electric guitar had the grave misfortune of having two geniuses create the initial designs. Yeah. So there was nowhere Le- forward to go? Leo Fender uh, and uh, Ted McCarty over at Gibson. And, 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 you know, just on that car part without getting too deep into it, it's interesting because... Um, uh, and then I'll, I'll add Eddie Van Halen in this because people don't think of him as a guitar maker, but he was, he was really a guitar maker. That modern overdriven sound. Yeah. Is, and, yeah. And, and, and the design modifications that he made have, have all had huge impacts on modern guitar playing. But these were all, like, Gibson was based in Kalamazoo, right. which is not far from Detroit. It's sort of far, but it's it's it's, it's it was a Michigan car company, and industry. McCarty actually hired a couple of auto designers to come in to help him with the design. That completely makes sense. That makes sense with everything the, you're saying, right? Yeah. And then Fender. That's a stroke of genius. Fender was out in in California, where you know the, the whole craze of like hot rod cars mm. and and you know cars were such a thing. You know convertibles and you know people just. You know, such a social thing. Just so a cool culture He was thing. super influenced by that. And Eddie was in Pasadena, which was also the capital of Hot Rods. Little old lady from Pasadena. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> there you he's go. got, you know, so, so there is this really sort of interesting That is an interesting parallel. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's, I, I, the thing is that I never even thought about the 50s style design 
until I read that. I never. I mean, I own Telecaster. It's obvious now that he says it, but I, it never entered and my it even mind. Gets for in, a it gets into like the. And I want. I don't want to give too much more of the book away because um, people should go buy it. It's called Play It Loud. Um, and at the, but when they get into how tonally Gibsons and Fenders mix together. So how different they were, like the bassier tone of a Gibson and the more uh, twang of a of a less of a Telecaster. This is something that like I own. I only ever really record with my Les Paul, my SG, and my Telecaster, and I always have to have my Telecaster on. And when the music that I play, you would never think that that's a Telecaster being played, but it is. You just fucking really fucking overdrive it, and and, and it has such an incredible mix with a Gibson sound. It's it's a. Uh, it's like they were made to be played together. It's fucking crazy, but they were made by different people and with completely different ideas of what guitars should sound like and look like. It's, uh, and they were competing with each other. So every time Fender would put out something and take over the marketplace, Gibson would have to come up with something to get the marketplace share back. And it was literally like, that's how it went. And it's, it's, it's so interesting to me that it kind of just worked out that way. And it's so funny that like the SG is, I think the, S, the Gibson SG is the most perfect guitar ever made. And, Les Paul hated it. It was the new design of, of the Les Paul was the SG and he hated it and like basically didn't get his contract renewed with Gibson because he had so many problems with the guy. Um, I don't know if it was McCarty or somebody else. It was yeah. McCarty, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was fascinating. But on another level, yeah. have you ever interviewed Eddie Van Halen? You had to have. Uh, I've talked with uh, Eddie many, many, many times over the years. Give me, uh, all right, you've talked with him. You've buddies <laughs> with him. you got his fucking cell phone number. I could get a hold of Ed if I needed to. Wow, let's do it. Let's get him on the, <laughs> on the podcast right now. Sure, he has better things to do. Fun. I don't know if he's as much fun sober. It's a, it's a little early in, in, in California. On, no. talking, he's like working out and shit now. He, he, he is He's got a bionic out. body. Yes. Yeah, he's in a healthy place from what, what I hear. Uh, well, he had to be or else he'd be dead. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, what was, like, what... Did he ever show up to, like, did you ever talk to him when he was in the fucking full-on crazy Eddie phase? I'm, I guarantee you did. Where he's, like, fucking wasted or, like, living on the, the mattress in his mansion or... <laughs> um, yeah, I... And don't be all fucking integrity journalist guy. Come on, give us the fucking dirt. <laughs> I'm, I don't give away my secrets. No, no, I, I, you know, I'll talk a bit about it. But it's, it's sort of like, I do know Ed well. Okay. He's always been super gracious to us. Okay. So it's like saying like when your you know, your friend goes off the rails a little bit, you know, and then you you know, spill the spill the dirt on him. You know, it's not totally cool, but okay. I'll give you a little I no, I'll give you you know, like uh, I'll give you some I just think look he's a he's a he's a brilliant guy, man. He he rewrote the book not only on, on playing, but actually in guitar construction. And you don't do that if you aren't a, an intense, fucking weirdo, imaginative guy. And, uh, and even though Eddie has this whole, um, you know, sort of, you know, what me worry vibe, you know, like, I'm I'm your I'm your bud. I'm your good friend. Eddie's got that great smile. But that's a stage persona. Obviously, that's it's not a the stage real persona, and it's amazing because the real him is a super uh, intense guy. And you know, he came here. Like I go into the story in the book. Actually, 
he was an immigrant. You know, he came over on the boat, and he really didn't even know, him and his brother didn't know how to speak English when they came over. And, uh, you know, they got thrown into How old was he when he came here, do you know? Uh, you know, I think you, you know, I'm, I'm really terrible at knowing those things, Very young. but, but he was young. He was like seven or eight or something. And he gets tossed into American school and completely ostracized like sure, the whole time. Outcast. Yeah. He was a total outcast. And, and he'll say like, he used to hang out with, you know, all the black and Hispanic kids who were also the outcasts in his air. They, they sort of accepted him. But what happened really to him is because of those experiences, he withdrew Okay, he went into his freaking bedroom, and that's what he did. He Practiced. put all of his 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 brain and and everything into learning how to play the guitar, and in that way, he was also sort of a social misfit. You know, his brother, on the other hand, was just naturally extroverted, and and uh, you know, his brother would go out and party and everything, and he'd say he'd leave at seven o'clock, and you know, and there would be Ed on his bed with a six pack, and he'd come back. You know, at one o'clock in the morning, and Ed'd still be in the same place practicing That's his cool. guitar. So, um, what I think really is about is that, uh, you know, ultimately, for for all of his sort of, you know, outgoing vibe and everything, underneath all of that, you know, is this kid that was really ostracized and sort of. And with that comes. A darker side, a more intense side, a well, more focused you know, side. And and he would drink and he would do all, all the thing, all the bad things that you're you're not, you know, over drink. You know, uh that you do when you're yeah. you know, you're traumatized like that because you can't deal with the social with the intensity of the of the of the world outside of right, you, right, right. you know, coming in. And like for one guitar world cover story, Ed came in and he literally drank a case of beer by himself. Like, he just, like, in, I don't know, like, freaking, it was astonishing. <laughs> like, and he's not a big guy. No, he's not a big guy. And uh, he, but, but you know, like, he sort of kept his shit together. Uh, I mean, I, I just saw him down bottle after bottle, and he was like, I just was waiting for him to come off his wheels. But, you know, there are these guys in the rock world and I call them professional drinkers, you know, functional drunks. and I can't, I can't, you know, I can't keep up with that fucking dime bag used to try to pull me into that world all the time or Zach, you know? And so I think it just, at one point it just freaking catches up with you. And I think it eats your body away. Yeah. yeah, I mean, God, and, and, yeah, you're internally I'm not quite destroying there yet, yourself. <laughs> no, and, and your and your and your mind. So and you your know, creativity. At, 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 you know, as that's, an artist, that's the hard. I think that's the the worst part about it is, is, and you see it a lot with guys get older. I mean, your creativity slows down as you get older, anyway. Yeah, right. You know, it's like you're not bursting with all these ideas all the time, but when you see someone visibly like damaged mm-hmm. from alcohol and they can't really do what they did. In, when they were younger, that's the saddest part, man. But but you know, I, I have to tell you something really insane is that um, you know I, I probably did see Ed at his worst, and at that same period. And what era was this? Uh, Sammy, like Sammy was being brought back into the band for his last tour after they. They'd gone through all these different hassles and fights. And I actually went to a rehearsal. And oh, I said, wow. and I said cool. like, <laughs> I go, 
I, I don't know how, how this guy is going to play. He's just not in the best shape, you know. And he went into rehearsal, and the guy, he freaking played, like, the most insane I think shit. Eddie on 50% and, is probably better than, you know. He's but but so it, was, it was this one crazy song, you know, I can't even remember the name of it. It wasn't Mew Eyes Magic, but it was one of these, like, special songs right. that, that he had just, he'd come up with all these crazy, like, uh, you know, overdubs and parts. And somehow he put it all together into one part, and he was doing this, all this stuff with the, on pedal boards and everything. And it was really one of the most incredible performances I've, I've ever seen. So Even, even though, when he was completely beat down on him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, you know, believe me, I've seen performances from him that weren't so great. But yeah, I've heard stories. There's some sloppy stuff yeah. on YouTube and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. overall, the guy's just so gifted, I think it over... It, it, Overcame no matter how but, hard but he was I, I will say that I did hang out with Ed. Uh, it's probably been about two years now. It's been a while. He came into New York City and, and we hung out. And I, I was so relieved because, uh, you know, when I first met him, he was, uh, you know, a good, funny, sort of charming guy. And he was back in that space. And I, and I thought for sure there was no way. You know, he so you was think he's come back. full circle as, on that side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Good know, playing wise and like mental. I mean, Zach Wild is another great one. I mean, I thought, forget it. He would, he would, he would be six feet under, and and he's like. I today, still don't think he knows where he is at the time. No. <laughs> Zach I'm pretty sure when he played here, I had no fucking idea where he was. <laughs> yeah. That was a great show, though. It, it was. It was a lot cooler than I thought it was going to be. You know, like you, the, the idea of. I mean, it's a great cover band, but it's still a cover band. You know, I'm psyched to see that he's playing with Ozzy again. That's that's kind of cool. I would have liked to have seen Jakey Lee personally. Just yeah, I saw Jake I a like few years ago. Jake's still great. He's really introverted and quiet and doesn't like the tour, though. And I, he's off the... He seems really off the radar of even what's going on. Yeah, I wonder... I always wonder about Jakey Lee, like, if he, like... Does he give guitar lessons for a living? And did he make an, he couldn't have made enough money in Ozzy. Well, he has that new band. Because they uh, fucked him out of uh, writing credit. Uh, Red Dragon or... Yeah, Red, I saw him twice. Yeah. And he plays great, but he's very private. He's very... He's completely removed from this lifestyle, or I think even what's going on in the music scene. He seemed really just like, I do my band. The second the show's over, I go on the bus. He wasn't hungry to play shows. I mean, my friend booked both shows, and he talked to him. I have another friend who knows him. That is like, he's just in his own little world, you know? I don't think he seems to even have the drive to want to get back into the Aussie Badlands mentality. I don't think he's there. Badlands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, I did an interview like with Jake during the Badlands period. That Badlands first Badlands record is it's pretty good. good. That's yeah. a good record. <laughs> it's cool. It's a good record. It, it, it's more of like a bluesy hard rock record, but it got yeah. lumped in with hair metal because that's what was dominating and it's who was in it. But yeah. Yeah. it's just a good hard rock record. Really. It, it was a little. It was a little bit of ahead of its time in the sense that, like, you know, it sort of steered clear of. Any of that kitschy hair metal stuff. Yeah, the it. ballads and shit. It totally that. did. It yeah. just got lumped in with it by marketing and by who was in the band. Yeah. But the, if you just listen to the record, it doesn't really invoke that stuff at all. Yeah. It doesn't, you know. Yeah. They have a second record, but I, I haven't heard it since it came out. I don't even remember what it's like. Yeah, no idea. But that first one was good. Yeah, I always I always liked the Aussie records that he did. I thought they were, they were pretty I love cool. Bark at the Moon. Yeah. I that love that It's fantastic. It, the, uh, and, Zach, you know, for Zach, Zach was... Zach was. I actually saw Zach in the. I guess it was the late '80s uh, when he first joined um, Ozzy to play boy. live. And yeah, and he, and he. I mean, he kind of looked. He looked like Randy Rose. He was still skinny and shit. Yeah. 
and he kind of looked like Randy Rhodes on stage, like you know, like he had the similar guitar and, and whatnot. And uh, I thought I thought that was weird. I was like, oh, is Ozzy trying to find a guy who looks like Randy Rhodes? But then when I saw him on TV, I was like, hey, he doesn't look like Randy Rhodes. He just kind of you could tell Randy Rhodes was an obvious influence on him. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, you know? he created his own style after that. But when he first came in, it was definitely from the Randy template. Totally. I don't know if you guys. I mean, Zach's a great player now, and, and I have to sort of argue with you. He's he's all there. I mean, is, he's he's, fun, he's funnier than hell. I mean, oh, yeah, Zach, no, I, Zach I was, is great. I saw. I was at the. I met him uh, a few times. Very nice. Yeah, I met him in the but, 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 sober days. But, well, I met him once in the first hour. In his early days with Ozzy, I, I was hard to say if I've ever seen like a better rock player. I mean, in terms of like his technique and his the energy on stage and everything. Like some of those early Ozzy's. He was great. He was on freaking on for fire. It, yeah. 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 yeah, I mean that's cool. I, yeah, I was I was kind of done with Ozzy at that point in my life. So you know, I yeah. met Zach <laughs> twice, and it was definitely I saw the first when the first solo black label, well, first black label Saudi record came out. He did an in store to meet and greet. Mm. My friend was managing him, so I hung out with him for like twenty minutes. But that was like raging Zach Wild. Yeah. Then I did merch from one night, and I met him for like five minutes when he was newly sober. It was two completely different people. He's a, he's a really, really sweet guy. He was really he's a nice. Thoughtful, he was really guy. nice both times, equally. Just very different personality wise. Just he like was he, much more outgoing and rowdy. He's got a lot of days. people around him. And that was that's the only reason I say like I feel like he doesn't know where he's going because you just you always I've I've met him three times and you always kind of feel like he's being dragged around. Because he just he's like, Where am I going? What am I doing? You know, and just like like to come into a club like this. Which I think he was here for the entirety of the set, and that was about it. He walked in just before he went on, <laughs> and then walked walked straight out. So he was then, up from coming from the bus. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know if they had a bus. Oh yeah, they did. They did. Of course they did. Because um, they had just gotten off tour with Clutch. I remember. Yeah, that. it was the night after the tour ended. Oh, it? I was also in a bad mood because their tour manager treated me like I was a fucking piece of shit that day. So I was in a, not in a good mood. Thank God I met Blasco. He's cool. <laughs> Blasco was cool And we're supposed to interview him Yeah, I mean, I got his phone number I'll, 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 uh, I, We're going to have to do a FaceTime interview Let's later. talk some cryptic slaughter <laughs> Totally <laughs> Fuck Ozzy Nobody knows that shit so I said cryptic slaughter to him And he was like, what? <laughs> he got psyched when I told him He's like, oh, hell yeah, man like, I'm sure he hasn't heard that name in a while As far as people coming up to him Yeah, That's what he's imagine. least known for But for me, it'll always be the most They're, they're both going to be playing with Ozzy again so. oh, oh, that's right, Blasco's yeah, doing it too Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. cool Well, good for them Back mm-hmm. in business, yeah. Um, before Ozzy keels <laughs> over, um, <laughs> the uh, so all right. Who was Ozcorp? <laughs> Ozcorp. So, so is your relationship with Jimmy Page similar to that of your relationship with Eddie Van Halen? Like, like how much involvement in the book did he have? Um. Well, the, the the book is subtitled Conversations with Jimmy Page. I actually brought you a copy. Oh, cool. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Um, How'd you meet Jimmy Page? Um, guitar World. Yeah, it was <laughs> Guitar World. So the, the, the great thing about being the editor-in-chief of Guitar World is that you can pretty much assign yourself to whatever <laughs> story <good> shit. <laughs> you ever want. And, uh, you know, I always thought that Jimmy was just... You know, I mean, it sort of goes without saying, but just the whole package, especially from, you know, production standpoint and putting together the riffs and constructing everything and, you know, playing great and all that jazz. So a uh, big part of my my childhood anyways, Led Zeppelin. So um, a page was doing Coverdale Page, the Coverdale Page okay. record. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I signed myself to do the story. And 
you know, that record, I mean, whatever, Coverdale's a bit of a cornball, although maybe one of the most entertaining human beings I've ever talked really? to. Uh, he looks weird these days. He's got some work done. He's, he, he's, he's <laughs> totally hilarious. But um, uh, that record, if you go back to it, is really like on a, from a guitar perspective, super deep. I mean, there's, there's tons of layers on that. Jimmy's playing his ass off. Um, I mean, like I said, like Coverdale's a bit of a cornball, so it, it sort of. I well, think, he just wants to be Robert Plant for his whole career. He's yeah. just wanted to be Robert The Plant. irony of him playing with him is not lost on me, because I mean. I think it was very exciting for David Coverdale. the first time I ever heard him. <laughs> it was I very mean, it's exciting. It's so blatantly plant based. It's ridiculous. But that's okay, the plant based. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, think my di- I, think, I was going to say, for my I diet, think, I mean, I'm vegan. Right. But um, no, as it comes to music, it's like. Yeah, but he's he's got that presentation that's different than Plant for sure. Yeah, Plant has but, a confidence. But he, he does has all, like those, a, all those little. He has like things. a corny swagger about. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess totally. it has its point, but not with me. Yeah, it's I definitely. Where Page comes off is always serious to me. It's yeah. like a weird dichotomy to me. So, so anyways, I, I went in and I did the interview, and I really did my homework because I always heard that that Jimmy was like a sort of a difficult interview, a difficult guy. So you came prepared. And I really, I prepared like nobody's business and, and just got way deep into the record. And I think it just, just sort of blew Jimmy away, like the fact that, you know, I knew stuff about playing and production and, you know, I could move in a really sort of deep level and I didn't come out with like, when is Led Zeppelin going to get back together? Yeah. You like, didn't I, annoy him with the typical <laughs> questions. Yeah, I, we got really serious about about playing and he seemed to know like that's sort of the interesting thing about him whatever his personal habits have been he does have this uh you know uh incredible memory for things and he could tell me about every last effect and every overdub and you know so we went at it for a couple of hours and uh you know we just hit it off so uh, I think after that, then the Led Zeppelin box sets came out. Okay. And I did like a couple of major interviews with him going through the box set. And that went really well, too. And and so we just built a relationship based on that sort of knowledge. And, and the guy does want to communicate about his music. and and But he wants someone on his level, which is where you come in, as opposed to the person who asked the same 10 cheesy questions. Yeah, yeah. And... What's really weird about Led Zeppelin is that, um, I mean, they, they've sold like as many records as anybody. And to a generation, uh, you know, just as important as the Beatles or the Stones. Absolutely. But, but nobody ever treated their, like now it's a little different, but let's go back 20 years ago. People were still just talking about like, you know, who they were fucking and, and you know, whatever. And they weren't taking them seriously the as music musicians. That's a, right. that's a bit of a timing thing though, you know, and, and I, I think that, I don't think that they disliked that at the time it was happening because it, especially in the seventies when it was all going down, because yeah. it just made their mystique more, yeah, yeah. you know, like. Uh, but, but he has a good point. I mean, the music wasn't being dissected but and the analyzed. Music, but the, the music wasn't at all by and anybody. God, at exactly. the time, thank God, it, it wasn't because they were, ripping off some, they were ripping off so many people, they would have been sued 8,000 fucking times, and I think they were. <laughs> well, their, their influences and their riffs were certainly derivative at times. But, I mean, the way well, they no, put it together you, was completely unique. But the way they put it together was completely unique. And 
Yeah, interpretations of the blues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They modernized it, they changed it, they played it live, and they presented it totally different. And it, so even though you say, all right, that's from here, that's from here, they put the Led Zeppelin stamp L- on it. Listen, oh, listen, listen, I, 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 I have to talk talk a bit about this because this is the sort of rap that I always hear about Led Zeppelin. And, and this is also a time and a culture thing, okay? So, I mean, you have to go back you know, to the six to the sixties, and and sort of see what's going on there. And I don't mean to be a bore about it, but at that point, rock, blues, folk music. You know, there's this there's a song in, in the folk music called "Will the Circle Be Unbroken?" Yeah, no. and it's basically about how you pass on music from tradition to tradition. And there was a very strong ethic about this in the in the in the 60s and the 70s and, and, and before that is like, you know, you, you, you were proud of your influences and you were proud of, uh, of, you know, taking things and doing things. And, you know, in the blues had a huge tradition of guys sort of borrowing from each other and taking Definitely. from each other. It was part other. of the culture. It was part, it was part of the culture. And, and Jimmy Page and guys like Eric Clapton and, and from that era, they weren't that far removed from that. In fact, they weren't removed from it at all. They were in the thick of it, you right. know. Like, you know, Dylan borrowing certain folk conventions, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, Buddy Guy taking from, uh, or, Mu- or Muddy Waters taking from Robert Johnson and just rearranging the song. Yeah, 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 you know. It, it, but at that time, it wasn't like how it is today where, oh, you're going to rip me off, you're going to do this... It's really considered like... Was it almost a passing of a torch? It was a sense? passing of a torch. It was a compliment. It was also the artist wanting to pass, you know, certain things on. But, uh, you know, I talked to Jimmy about that back in the day. And, you know, his answer, which is a little bit of a skate, uh, was, look, I came up with new riffs. Roger just, I mean, uh, Roger, uh, Robert just didn't, you know, rewrite the lyrics. I mean, we got pop a lot of times just because of the lyrics. I always did something, you know, with, with the Daisy arrangements. With I completely disagree with that. But I mean, well, there's a whole middle well, that's section. That's the most blatant though, example. Certainly, psychedelic middle section. Yeah, 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 yeah. but I mean, it's fucking. Yeah. That's rhythm-wise, it's yeah. It's I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's beefed up, yeah. obviously, because it was basically an acoustic song. But 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 Jake Holmes didn't care. Not until later. Not until later. Not until yeah. everybody was up his ass about yeah. it, because. Because well, Jake, money Jake was and stuff polluted things. Jake was also was of, of that of that era right. where people just did stuff, man. They they passed it around. You know, I mean, it, it's funny uh, 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 during the whole sort of stairway to heaven debacle. There's oh, that a, was ridiculous. There's a song yeah. called uh, "Let It Let It Grow" by uh, Eric Clapton on the his Ocean Boulevard record. Okay, and. Uh, you know, there's an interview with Clapton, and it's really funny, and they were asking him about Led Zeppelin, and he, and he was like, you know, it wasn't my cup of tea, but, uh, you know, you just can't help but be influenced by that because they're part of the culture. And one day somebody pointed out to me that Let It Grow is a complete ripoff of Stairway to Heaven. And if you listen to it, the whole outro is the intro to Stairway to Heaven. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> which, was, which was the thing that, that they were being sued over. Yeah, in the first place. Yeah. Spirit song, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the initial... But, but I'm saying, case. you know, like, whatever. I mean, how many people have done the one, four, five, quarter... Yeah, it's, a you know, it's, it's a counterpoint. It's a counterpoint for it. Like, it, it's... it's it, but, but it's also 
semi-dictated by the rules of harmony. And certain chords go together in certain keys, and, and, and there's only so if you many... dug deep, of course, you're yeah. going to find that everything is basically three chords, and it's all the same. Yes. But, it, yeah, but, I mean, there's something as iconic as that, yeah. you know, obviously, rip, like, taking that. But, but there's a difference, like, you know, with the Beatles were always accused of how oh, the Beatles ripped off this or ripped off that. The thing that the Beatles were really lucky about was that their interpretation of Roy Orbison wasn't even close to sounding like Roy Orbison. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know well, I mean? they put their own stamp on it, mm-hmm. obviously. And the Beatles also but I'm not even sure didn't hide their influences. I don't think it was intentional. I, I think they were really trying to be Roy Orbison, and they just couldn't do it. Yeah. That's very possible. Had, you know, and, That's very and Led Zeppelin was really trying to be like fucking Howlin' Wolf. And uh, Who's the one that, uh, is it? No, I can't quit you, babe. What's the one they got that they had to give songwriting? That was Willie Dixon, right? Willie Dixon. Dixon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, they, I, I, you know, I think that Robert Plant genuinely saw himself as a classic blues singer, yeah. you know? And and in my opinion, in listening back after, as I got older and I listened to The Small Faces, and I was like, well, it sounds like he just wants to be Steve Marriott. Yeah, yeah. Honestly. <laughs> that was off my radar then, but then with, you hear it as you get older. Without Steve Marriott, that guy doesn't exist. Yeah. Like, I mean, well, you know, that Paige, guy's voice was Paige, so much stronger. You know, yeah. Paige tried to get Marriott to sing for Zeppelin. He was one of the first choices. I didn't know that. Oh, was he? Yeah. I only yeah. knew about the other guy. Yeah. That would have worked. And there, there, I, think, I think it was Don Arden, Sharon Osbourne's uh, dad. dad. Dad was their manager. But, uh, but uh, so anyways, they heard that, that Paige was trying to poach Marriott, and, and somebody sent a message to Paige that they would break his fingers if he tried to No do way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no way. That's funny. <laughs> I never heard that. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would have fit for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that like, definitely would have worked. Yeah, the lyrics wouldn't have been quite as... Uh, Suggestive, probably. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and 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 Zeppelin would have ended much sooner because Mar- Marriott sort of came off of his wheels too. You know? Oh yeah. But there's also yeah, uh, well, something. Yeah. There's a live mystique too that Plant has that very few people have. I mean, he's like that. You get transfixed on him. Yeah. The, well, and, listen, we've you know, we've had conversations about this before that he has the glow. Yeah. You know, and like Completely. he and you know, like like I always talk about Liam Gallagher, like Liam Gallagher dumb as a box of rocks but he's got the glow you know and it's like you he stands in a room and everybody stares at him you yeah. can't take your eyes off him and robert plant he's almost the i mean besides let's say elvis and the even the beatles guys like don't i don't really feel like paul although paul just feels like a grandpa now but well, that's now i mean but even then i don't think paul was the spotlight i mean there's something about robert plant where like you can't help but yeah you just want to watch the guy and and you know he's <laughs> the thing about him and in, in page they're both gigantic. I mean, they're like they're like six two. Really? They're huge. I heard plants very tall. Yeah. Interesting. I never met. Yeah, anyone. you know, you think of all these British guys as being like little guys. Short, yeah. No, no, no. Ah, Paige is like she's like six one, six two. I would have never guessed that. Yeah. It was big. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of intimidating. He's the one. It's sort of intimidating. Yeah. Is they're all short? I was so, going to say. I was going to say another person that that is like that is Mick Jagger. Like and and Mick Jagger. Like he's the perfect example of a guy that really didn't have a whole lot of singing talent, but he was fucking you know Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. Jesus. I mean, he's the one to me. Yeah, like he's just got. So at points, it's almost indifferent what's coming out of his mouth. There's just something about him on a stage that you're transfixed. You yeah, know? it's his reaction to music and his energy that. I mean, I love his songs too. I think Paige had that same had that same allure to him as well you know well they, they both had that poor that, john paul jones that uh <laughs> but that wasn't that john sort paul of jones's yin, job you yeah. know they had that yin and yang sort of image you know yeah and uh you know i, I saw them i think 
I think it was, it was a house as a holy tour. It was around 73 or something like that. And, and I was in tier C of Cobo Hall in Detroit. Nice. And you could, and, and, and those guys, you know, the, the blonde guy and the brunette guy, tall, whatever, they both had presents that sort of like. Made, went to the end of the arena. Yeah, yeah. went yeah. to, before there were screens and stuff, yeah. you know. Interesting. So who, uh, who's the, who's the biggest disappointment that you ever met where you were like, oh, I'm fucking psyched to meet this guy. Like, obviously, Jimmy Page turned out to be pretty cool. But, like, out of all, I mean, you've probably interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of people. And, like, is there any guy that sticks out that you were just like, fuck this? Like, Mike Portnoy is to us. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. I actually, I actually talked to Mark, Mark Port, Portnoy one time. It was, he was Mike Portnoy. Yeah. And he was, you can he say was Mark, sort of, we don't care. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> he was, Dick Portnoy. <laughs> he was, and he was what? He was a little. He was pretty funny, but uh, he probably is funny. He's a, he's a bro from Long Island. Yeah, yeah. He, he could be up here, yeah. but he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, anyway, so is there anybody? Um, is it like that sticks out? I mean, I'm sure it's hard to filter them all. I'll make it a little more complicated. Too. Was there someone who was disappointing as a person, or even disappointing as an interview, where you thought they were brilliant, but as far as doing an interview, they couldn't articulate it or bring it across? That 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 can be the. That can be the problem most of the time. You know, like, I prepare insanely for interviews. Like, if I'm going to do it, especially if it's, it's well, a, a big, sort of a big person. Know, most people should if it's your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but and you have a, a, lot, a, lot of pe- a lot of people don't. And, and I always feel like if somebody's not responding to me, it's like I'm not, I haven't done my job somehow. Right. You know, like, right. Like, right. like... You're not bringing the right stuff to the table. Yeah, and... Sort of the cool thing about Guitar World, I know that you guys are going to get mad. You think I'm just like sidestepping or whatever, but but I'm not. Is that the great thing? I mean, like really being the editor of Guitar World for as long as I was or, or, or just doing that job, period. It, it is a fantastic forum because you, you have the license to talk to musicians about what they do. Like, you don't have to talk about their personal lives. You don't have to talk about, you know, necessarily their drug habits or their this or that. You can get in and start talking about their guitars and their amps, and you have sort of this cool license to kill. And it, most musicians just, that's like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, of course. You know, like, like they, they just can't. Well, they, they want to talk they, about They that sort shit. of can't yeah. believe that you're actually talking to them about what they actually yeah, yeah. do. So I, I had that experience with King Diamond. Nice. I so did I actually. I interviewed King yeah. Diamond and, and twice, and he fucking loved it. He's like, no one ever asked me about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I had the it. same thing with King Diamond, and it was uh, instantly they came out. You know, we'll use I'll use him as the example. There's the formulaic, ritualized interview you do, right. and then the spark of the real person. And by me asking in depth, really detailed questions about his music career, the spark went off, and I was like, I'm talking to this guy. And he was giving me his emotions on the recording and the songwriting process, which fits right into what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you're really tapping into what they're passionate about and not the fluff and circumstance that most people run away with. You've got to expect nine out of, nine out of ten of, the, of people in that respect have put in a lot of hours by themselves, honing a skill that is very difficult to become popular doing. Yeah. And, and so, like, you know, they're, they're going to be not bookish, but... A little nerdy, a little maybe you yeah. know, introverted until they get on stage, you know, and then they, they usually a lot a lot of at least for me, you know, you're playing a character almost on stage. It's not really it almost you. An it's alter a, it's, ego. It's a piece of you, but it's but it's not completely you. And you're like a stripper. Yeah. Wow. 
<laughs> I wish I made that kind of money. It's That's just as depressing. <laughs> Actually, the strippers are worse. I, I would hope the musicians I look up to are, are better than them. That's pretty funny. Good one, Brad. Um, <laughs> what era are you from, Brad? Jesus Christ. It's the modern era, okay? I know I'm the youngest guy here, but, you know. So back to what you are saying, though. You, you're getting to ask questions that... True yeah. music fans want to hear, and it's an avenue and a platform where they're open. Listen, e- even if, if somebody's not totally responding to me, if you get back and just start talking to them about their amps and their guitar, usually they, they wake up and, and, right. and, and you, can, you, can, you can engage them that way. But uh, I always tell people, like, the one person to me that was inexplicably such a, a dick to me... <laughs> Awesome. Oh, wait a second. I've got two stories. I've got two uh, stories. Yeah, that I'm thinking so like about it. Okay. <laughs> so one is um, Joe Jackson. Really? Was just, this is a long time ago. Do you know even who Joe Jackson is? Of course I'm a fan. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping out. It's one of the fucking, I love that record. Yeah. It's a great record. Yeah, Fucking asshole to me. Like, like just like, and he, he had put out this weird classical record. Yes. It was like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. I remember that record. And so, like. It was that time? Yeah. I prepped him. Like, you know, I didn't think anybody else was banging on his door to talk about right. this thing. No, he wasn't high profile at that point. And uh, I was just like, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he would just like look at me like. You know, he would just dis- like wouldn't even answer certain questions and just be completely dismissive. <laughs> wow! And uh, and he was so weird looking too. You know, he came in wearing this um, sort of long raincoat and this hat and the, the hat on t- that it looked like it literally looked like one of those things where there was two children inside of the oh, yeah. inside <laughs> of the long coat. Yeah. You know, he was so it was his whole vibe and everything. And, Does he and have that reputation? Awful to me. Does he have that I reputation? Think so. I don't know. He That's, was. Fucking... I've never heard anything bad about him. Yeah, I just uh, remember as a kid. I remember like I lo- I loved the song "Stepping Out," and yeah. then I found out it was about him coming out as being gay, and and I was like, "What's gay?" You know, and I was like, <laughs> "You're real young." Well, I mean, I was brought up extremely strictly Catholic, and so like, uh, and he had that song "Real Men," which I believe touches yes. on that topic. As yeah, well. and mm-hmm. I, I I felt real. I, in retrospect, I felt real bad for my mom. <laughs> Like, what's my mom going to say right now? Like, she's basically one step away from being a nun, you know? Like, it, <laughs> anyway. uh, he had one of the best bass players too, Graham. Maybe mm-hmm. fucking amazing. The the, the bass playing on those early records. Richard Jackson was a great piano player. Like, yeah. you needed good dudes yeah. to keep up with him. Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a really good band. Who was the second guy? Well, this is this is a crazy story. I don't mind telling it though. All right. Uh, so. It's really sort of funny. So I was going to go interview Aerosmith, you know, uh, Joe Perry and Brad Whitford. And um, what era is this? This is sort of like comeback, first comeback. Like 87? Era, era like well, they did the Run DMC that. thing? It was like a record past that. I forget which one. Okay. Pump or something. So they were like, sober. I think it was Pump, yeah, or whatever. Oh. They were sober. So... Um, I just was called by this Japanese magazine like the day before I went to interview them to give me a list of like my five favorite guitar or ten favorite guitar solos or something. And I always loved the guitar solo on Train Kept a Rolling. Just loved it, you know, and uh, fantastic. And um, so... I, I went to do the interview actually in Boston, and I brought my wife with me. 
because she was a photographer and we were going to be doing some lesson stuff with them and I wanted her to shoot some. But anyway, she was sitting outside of the room sort of waiting for me and uh, Joe hadn't arrived yet, so it was just Brad Whitford. And uh, I, I started talking to Brad and I, I was just like having this sort of casual conversation with him. And I said, oh, you know, like I just got, uh, I told him the whole thing about the Japanese magazine and I said, you know, how much I love uh, the train kept rolling solo, and I said, "You know, what's really weird about that solo is that uh, it just doesn't really sound like much of any uh, other, you know, anything else that you guys have done." Mm-hmm. And you know, I had just gotten this other box set by them of rarities, and and Brad Whitford took a solo on one of the things, and I said, "You know, it sort of sounds more like you than Joe. Is that you?" And I, and I was genuinely just sort of. Casually asking, C- curious, yeah. you know, about it, and and Brad just started like mumbling something like, "Yeah, you know, I um, uh, I don't really remember how that went down," and and I'm thinking, now that's really a weird yeah. response. Not no. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so so. Anyways, I, I let it go because we were just having a chit chat, you know. So uh, Joe shows up and comes into the room, and Brad says, "Joe, I need to talk to you about something." And they leave the room, okay? And they go and have this conversation out in the hallway with my wife who is sitting out there. You know, my wife's sitting out there listening to what... Did they know it was your wife? No, no, they didn't know it was Oh, my this wife. is perfect. This is great. <laughs> this I already see where this is going. Asshole. <laughs> so, 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 so Whitford goes to Joe like... Uh, I don't, you know, like this guy asked this question. I don't know. Should we tell him about it? Should we tell him... What what Clapton? And uh <laughs> and Perry was being ah fuck, he's just being an asshole, you know. This guy's being a dick, he's trying to wind us up, blah, blah, blah. You know, and uh so anyways, they come back in the room, okay, and I'm I'm not aware of any of this, right? Not aware of any of only this conversation. Only only she is. And Joe comes in and he like takes his coat, he like fucking throws it across the room, and he sits down and I start asking these guys questions and you know brad was sort of cool about it but joe was just like giving me one word answers just being like to me it was the most puzzling thing ever and i thought well you know i've always heard that joe's like a bit of a tough customer and this that and the other thing you know like maybe this is just Joe, this maybe this is what Joe Perry's all about. I don't right. know, you know. Maybe this is he his, no other frame of reference. Yeah, he's no other frame of reference. So uh, I go back to work, and I'm like, this is supposed to be this cover story, and and it's a terrible interview, and these guys are being totally unresponsive, and and um, so on the way back, I'm I'm like thinking about, oh my god, I. I don't have anything here, you know, and I've got, I've got to knock out this story in, in a couple of days. And so my wife goes, well, you know, those guys were in the, the hallway and they were saying this, this and this. And then I started putting two and two together. And I'm like, oh, my God, like I just stepped into the stupidest thing ever. So uh, I realized that during that period. Uh, on that second record, that they had, um, uh, uh, who are the who are the guys that played with Alice Cooper and Lou Reed? Oh, uh, 
Uh, I should totally know this. Can't talk a billion dollar baby, these guys. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great band. Uh, yeah. Uh, I can't believe I can't think of it this right now because it, it's uh, you know they're Detroit guys and they're Hunter and Wagner. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, at that period, like Hunter and Wagner were doing all this sort of sessiony work. I mean, they were playing on Billion Dollar Babies. Yep. They were playing with Lou Reed. Um, you know, they were sort of pals of Jack Douglas who produced the Aerosmith record. And then I thought about it and I'm like, holy fuck, it does sound like it does. It sounds like Dick Wagner, you know, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, they, so just, you they thought I was being just a, <laughs> they uh, thought you were privy to this knowledge and were kind of yes, trying I, to get him to admit it. I yes. was trying to get him to admit and it. Trying to like, and and I, I'm just like. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And wow. uh, so I, I, I called up the, the 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 manager, the publicist at the time, and said, "Listen, I, I, I'm so sorry. Um, I, I wasn't I wasn't being a dick, and, and 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 I think these guys thought I was, you know, outing them. And I think that this actually has become pretty public knowledge since then that." You know, I mean, I've seen it in, in a bunch of different places, and it's been talked about. So. Does it ever come out of their own mouths? I don't know if it's ever come out of their own mouths. Maybe. Uh, but anyways. Uh, I love that you picked th- up on it th- th- so much. Yeah, you have, you're a pretty I mean? savvy that's, ear. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. No, no, dude. With I, no context at all. I, I, mean, it's like, I yeah. love those guys. I love, I love. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I mean, I mean you, you hear that those guitar solos on Billion Dollar Babies, those yeah. are amazing. I yeah. mean, so those guys are, or, right, the, right. or the Lou Reed rock and roll animal record. I mean, you know, or Captain Beyond. Uh, oh, who we just bought. Yeah. I don't know who's Did left. you? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I think it's like one guy. Um, but, uh, anyways, so I sort of kissed and made up with everybody and, and everybody was, they got back on the phone and I did a perfectly oh, okay. nice interview with them and I got my cover story. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but, but, get beat up. but that was a, that was an interview that severely went wrong. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Too bad your wife wasn't recording the hallway. I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But did they, um... In hindsight, after you had talked to people, did they sincerely believe that you just picked that up by ear and that you weren't setting them up? I think they, I think they did because I think that uh, it, you know I don't think people knew that so much back then. Maybe that might have been a really uncomfortable conversation for the manager to have with them. Oh yeah, where it's like I don't want to talk about this thing that you get upset about, but this right. thing that he didn't know about well, it has to be talked about because. <laughs> and, and, and I got to tell you, since then I've. I've talk with joe and, and brad both a lot since then and, and and they're great and those guys can totally play guitar it's not like oh, yeah. you know it's not but but i think it, it was weird those first two aerosmith records they were both really super inexperienced yeah. and um yeah you know it just it just was something that went down back then but it, it was funny actually most they of probably, my I, I bet you it was like a thing where somebody was like we want to get that alice cooper sound you know, everybody wanted it back then. Well, I think no. Douglas was used those guys. He was their go to guy when he was having problems, Jack Douglas, yeah, the yeah, producer. Well, Isn't there and a live and version? And yeah. Too, yeah. Isn't there a live version on official bootleg? I believe. I'm trying to think. Well, you know, the thing is, is that. I'm sure there's guys. That, that, and did he copy it or did he like, make it his own style? No, dude, dude that isn't even a live track that on it's Get Your Wings. It's a studio type thing. No, it's, it's just a f- totally just in the studio and just they dubbed in some. Uh, some really? no, yeah. Like wow. are, you, are you are you revealing more secrets about Aerosmith? This is fucked up. <laughs> They're not gonna be nice to call. you. Wait till they hear this podcast. <laughs> yeah. They're frequent listeners. 
I mean, that would be so cool if they were. <laughs> Joe, if you call, call me, it's cool. Uh, I was going to say I'll text Ezra right now and ask. Him. <laughs> oh, you can you can ask Ezra. Yeah, I'm mean, sure you love to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, anyways, yeah. So most of the most of the most of the bad interviews I got is just because of some boneheaded thing that was misinterpreted by the other person right. who you know because uh, again you know not to be all wussy about it but like i felt that my job at guitar world was like there's musicians reading this magazine and they just want to know stuff you know and they want to know like how musicians do things you can or hip writer and circus for all the gossip yeah yeah you know it's so, funny what you talk about in your book uh, you talk about that John that uh, Bluesbreakers record, yes. where everybody scoured over to see what guitar it was. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. You could barely see that Eric Clapton was playing and what amp he was playing, because everybody wanted to get that that sound. And you know, back before stuff like Guitar World, that was the only fucking way yeah. you read liner yeah. notes. Yeah. You know, that's I mean, that's how Ron and I got into every band we. Every yeah, metal band that's where the education You was. just read the thank you list and went, oh. You studied the pictures, you saw what shirts they wore, you saw yeah. what they thanked, you yeah. saw what the records were produced, like yeah. everything, you just absorbed Yeah, it and it's, it's like super interesting that with stuff like Guitar World, which I guess was a uh, an industry that kind of came out, I think it was like in the late, early 80s, I guess, maybe. Those, yeah, those I mean, I mean uh, it was like 80, and then I think, I think Guitar World started in 80. I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't get on board. When did you start? And, like, 89 something okay. 90 uh, and then I think G- guitar player was out like 10 years before that but uh, no it was it, there wasn't that much information and I always say that in many ways what I always try to keep in mind with guitar world which kept my cynicism at bay even when I didn't particularly love the music that I was covering um, was that this is sort of my love letter to myself as a kid because when I was a kid there was nothing out there I mean it took me a long freaking time even to figure out like what a bar chord or a power chord was because you just there was no internet there was like yeah you couldn't even even tune it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I was lucky because there were a couple of kids in the neighborhood again that that sort of knew stuff, and I and and to this day I'm still completely puzzled as to how they knew what they knew. Were they older kids who played? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were older kids that played, and um, I don't know how. And there was one guy who was a bona fide genius, uh, and I don't know how he knew what he knew, but he would actually get up there and play and have like Leslie speakers, and he'd have this whole rig set up, and this is like freaking seventy. Who or something, you know? Like I don't even know how he understood any of the stuff that he understood. Did he ever go on to do anything? No, uh, he's dead. Actually, I, I was I was uh, this guy named Dale Schowler, who's I, I, I mean, he he was an incredible player, and he actually ripped me off of a couple of things because he knew stuff, and I was a dumb kid. But right. I, I, I'm not going to hold that against him because <laughs> I I also learned a bunch of junk from him too. Yeah, and, it evened out. Yeah, it evened out. <laughs> oh, I mean, so. Has there been anybody like, like, well, one of the things that came to my brain when you were talking about interviewing people mm-hmm. and like sort of getting them, you know, to talk about their, like one of the things that I was going to say was that's kind of sort of with the Internet's kind of lost. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, like totally doing doing an interview, like interviews in general, yeah. you know, because the, the artists are actually on social media talking about stuff. Oh, yeah. oh I love this neighborhood. Shut up. They're coming for you. Let them die. They're coming for you. 
I'm going to guess it's uh, down the block. Oh, over yeah, there. I'm sure. Either that or they're making a left to the homeless shelter, one of the no. two. Um, but the, the – uh, yeah, the, the yeah the art of the interview is kind of a little bit lost, right? Yeah. With the exception of podcasts. Well, podcasts, yeah. I yeah, mean, this is the modern equivalent. It's yeah, a modern it's- equivalent. And and I am doing stuff like in, you know, with AOL. And, and I just did a, a interview with uh, John Oates uh, a couple weeks ago over at the yeah, cutting room. Soon. Yeah, I just sort of know. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was he was cool. He was, was it him or was it Hall who was battling Lyme disease for years and was pretty sick? Boy, I don't know. I, I think don't think it was him. It, had, it was Oates. I think it was Oates. Yeah. He didn't doesn't say anything about it in his book. Weird. Yeah, uh, one of them struggled with it pretty maybe hard. It was, they went through years of uh, hardship. Wow, wow interesting. A yeah. good friend of mine. You know what was weird time. about John Oates, and then I'll get off of this because I don't know if you're. Listeners are all that interested in John Oates. Uh, That's fine. They're listening, interested in anything. Who doesn't uh, like Hall and Oates? I mean, a good song's a good song. I mean, yeah. God. No, so so anyway, so I'm reading this book about John Oates, and uh, and in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, can this guy play guitar? I mean, is he just a good like rhythm guitar player and a great singer? Is that his thing? Because he never really seems to step forward. And they always had these session guitarists on the record, like Hugh McCracken and G. Smith and everything. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe. Oates doesn't. That's not his thing. He just plays More chords and good, good rhythm guitar player, yeah. singer songwriter kind of thing. And uh, and even in his book, he doesn't really talk about it. And then there's like a paragraph or two paragraphs in the book where all of a sudden he talks about playing with Doc Watson. Now Doc Watson is one of the greatest guitar players ever. I mean, he's like a bluegrass flat picking, freaking monster. Just a great, great, great. Groundbreaking guitar player. Like a who's Chet Atkins type guy? No, or? no, flat picker, like doom, did a little, little, did a little, you know, like okay, bluegrass yeah, yeah. guy. Okay. Okay. So, anyways, Doc Watson, fucking fantastic. Um, and I'm like, well, geez, if John Oates was playing with Doc Watson, he must be able to play. Good, yeah. So, after we got done talking, he actually pulled out an acoustic guitar and played four songs. And he wasn't just good, he was unbelievable. And, you know, it was more of a folk blues style. But but you would never guess. And and I and, and during the interview, I go to him. You know, I go, what is your relationship with the guitar? Because you don't really talk about it that much in in the book. And he and he and he just paused and he said, you know, you're the first person that asked me that. And until this minute, I didn't realize you're absolutely fucking right. I didn't really talk about the topic. <laughs> it, sort of, it sort of blew his mind, actually. Like, it was like a genuine Second moment. Where he's going to have to add a, a chapter in. Well, I guess his yeah. gig is so focused on writing songs that yeah. his yeah. instrumentation almost gets lost yeah. in the process. He's got to be fucking rich. Those guys got to be fucking Well, they, they, got, they got taken. Did they? Yeah. Uh, so did they get wrong? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They got taken. Songwriting or and he, and he had to... Management. Yeah. And then they had... Then they, they had... They, like, he was... He owed something like six million dollars. Jesus! At one point, and he had to dig himself out. Wow! Yeah. Did you look it up? Is he the one that had the line? Oh, it was Daryl Hall. Oh, it was Hall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't think he would pass something like no, that up no. in his book. Yeah, because yeah, it was a pretty serious thing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Hall and Oates. Hall and Oates. I mean, like a band like Hall and Oates, though. Like, mm-hmm. how quickly? That's like the Beatles, you know what I mean? Where like, like they could go broke tomorrow and be rich again in three months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they, he figured it out, you know, and, and that's why they're still working, I think, a little bit these days. Yeah. You know, Aerosmith's another band that went broke like three times. 
It's like uh, okay, wasn't lifestyle problem. part of that though? With that? Yeah, yeah. Probably well, lifestyle it, also making poor decisions because of that lifestyle in the yeah. business. You know? yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was totally like they were kids when they first made it and they had a manager and just assumed everybody was taking care of everything. And, and, and they, it was actually after him and Daryl decided to part ways. Like a month later, his accountant calls him up and says, dude, you're broke. And he like had no idea, you know, wow. sold off his like fucking 40 sports cars and his, you know, whatever it was. And I don't feel too bad for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, and to his, to his, to his, uh, to his te- to testimony to him is <clears throat> he doesn't really think about it. But one cool thing is he, he does or did for many years live next door to Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> which, which is That's sort of be fun a too. Yeah. See, he sold all forty cars, but actually, last night I sold three haul little truckers to my friend Tom for ten bucks, so I could buy a burrito. You made off with quite a haul. So then, we, I, I can really mm-hmm. relate to him. I sold the greatest hits and two other records. Nice, Rob. Thanks. I didn't think I was going to talk about haul notes today, but what but, a segment! I mean, we're we're there. We're, yeah. there, we're right we're there for you. Ten bucks for dinner. We're right there for you, buddy. Thanks, haul notes. <laughs> you were there when I needed you. Your record should have been worth more, assholes. <laughs> yeah, really. All these big American. Should make colored vinyl. I could have sold for like fifty bucks each. <laughs> so I, I just read. Uh, I just read this thing. They they published um, uh, the the top fifty richest pop stars in uh, England, UK only. It was like really interesting. Of course, you know who number one is. But it was uh, Paul McCartney for anybody who's dumb out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but, he even got took, didn't he? At one point. I think Heather Mills, he had to give her like 40 mil, but he's worth a bill. Yeah. So, <laughs> and yeah. he lose a lot of the stuff to Michael Jackson at one point? Well, he, 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 they just bid him. Yeah. Yeah, they outbid him for the... the so he lost potential money. He, right, okay. But he's got, I think he's got a bunch of it back now. And Michael Jackson eventually sold it to Sony. I know, McCarthy. yeah. McCartney didn't have any of the merch. I mean, there were like a lot of bad deals sort of made yeah. back then. But, but he still is a bit. So as much as yeah. he has, he yeah. did yeah. five times yeah. more. Yeah. But it was weird to see like George Harrison's family... They like they're like number nine on the list. You know what I mean? Like oh, his, yeah. his wife, ex-wife, and his Olivia. widow and his kid, mm-hmm. who I saw in, uh, induct DLO into the yeah. Rock Roll Hall of Fame, yeah. which we didn't talk about. His son his his his, 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 his kid is actually really good guitar player. He's yeah, he has a good band. Yeah, Don, I mean, it's, it's got to be tough for him, but yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, Sean Lennon, yeah, 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 yeah live in that shadow. Yeah, yeah. it's rough. They should have gone into fashion. Sean doing that thing now with. Uh, but, uh, well, Les Les Claypool, Claypool, which is yeah. really good. Is it? Yeah. It's really good. No, his, his, uh, Sean's last solo record is really good too, but yeah. you know. Yeah, you can't live in that shadow. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, a big fucking shadow. Yeah. That's, there's just no reason to even try, but he does. And you know, fair enough. I'd like to hear another Julian Lennon record personally. Because <laughs> I did love that. Villat. Yeah. <laughs> he sounds so much like his dad. It's almost creepy. He does. And looked, he, I mean, he looked really, and sounded way too much like When that record like came it. out, it was creepy because his yeah. dad was recently deceased. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, the, the, that the, voice was, that was like a bottom record. It sounded just like Led Zeppelin. Oh yeah, but but he was imitating. Yeah, uh, he, he, he was imitating John Lennon's worst record, though. I you uh, walls and bridges. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mary, Mary, that's a little inside, maybe. No, I'm, a, I'm enough for John Lennon free time. Yeah, yeah, but Valat sounded like walls and bridges. Yeah. But it was it, it, he freakishly sounded yeah like him, which and it was, wasn't forced. It was no, natural. it wasn't, and I, I, in a lot of ways. You kind of feel sorry for him, you know, like yeah. Because like, the guy's going to open sucks. his mouth, he's going to sound so much like his dad, who had just died. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's true. Know, it's a and, weird thing. Yeah, I mean, Julian complains about money, but apparently he's got plenty of it. So yeah. I'm sure, according to Yoko. <laughs> did you ever? Did you ever interview Paul McCartney or um, any of the Beatles guys? 
You know, like that was the thing was uh, we, we did do a couple of things with McCartney. And uh, every time we did, uh, you know, I'm a huge Beatles fan, no question about it. But I had, you know, other people who were just basically crying and wetting their pants so I let right, them right, do right. it instead That's of nice me. Of <laughs> that was nice of you. I would have flexed my mind to think on that. So Brad, Brad, uh, Brad gave me his ticket to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Yes. Um, yeah, he told me he was going to do that right in your doorway and I was yeah. like, he's going to freak out. So, uh, for people who don't know, uh, this year they inducted my favorite band of all time, Yes. And um, Brad had the unfortunate uh, experience of going to see Yes with me at the Beacon Theater. <laughs> But it was, it was uh, John Anderson, uh, Rick Wakeman, and Trevor Rabin. It wasn't yes, yes. I it was, it was, it was yes, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. It was a, it was a yes. positive nod. It, it, yes. it felt more yes than the other yes. Yes, it did. It, um, did. it did. But uh, so uh, as a as sort of a thank you, because uh, like an asshole, I paid probably, I'm not even going to say how much I paid for those fucking tickets, but it was a lot. Um, as I refuse to see yes anywhere, but in like the t- first 10 rows or so at this point in my life. Um, and so he got me a ticket to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, which was very sweet of you. And I was surrounded by fucking Tupac and Pearl Jam fans. But um, it was awesome. I got there right. I had to watch my kids. So I got there right when ELO was playing and it was they were fucking awesome. Oh, my God. Like you forget how many fucking hits they have and like how perfect they sound. Like Really, really cool. And then they inducted Yes, and uh, Danny Harrison inducted Yellow, yeah. which was really sweet. And you know, I didn't know, I didn't know that the connection between Jeff Lynne and George Harrison went back as far as it did. Yeah. But I guess George Harrison, uh, at the house in Surrey that he owned, would let musicians live in his house who were kind of just starting out, who he liked and respected. And I guess uh, his relationship with with George Harrison went back to like the early seventies. So it was right when ELO was starting. Um, Really, like, from the move, because they were the move before that. And uh, and then... Uh, How creepy did Roy Wood look? <laughs> dude. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty creepy, man. <laughs> I haven't seen the HBO thing yet, so I don't, I don't know... Uh, yeah. I don't know what everybody looked like up super up close. But, yeah. But, um, yeah, and then they inducted Yes, and Getty Lee and uh, Alex Lifeson from Rush uh, inducted him, which was a thrill enough for me, just, you know, just to see those guys. And, and they did a song, man. And then Getty played bass on Roundabout, mm-hmm. and then they did Own of a Lonely Heart, and poor Steve Howe had to play bass, which I'm sure... Like, he looked like he was having a good time doing he, it. Well, he was doing all the Chris Carr moves. <laughs> he was having fun, yeah, I think, doing that, you know. Yeah. I think he, like, but, but it was funny because then the next day, I, I think I sent you the article where um, <clears throat> it was... Uh, Oh, fuck, what's his nuts? The guy who's playing bass in the other yes. Billy now. Sherwood. Billy Sherwood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, tweeted out that that um, Rick Wake. So Rick Wakeman gave this speech that was basically like a stand-up comedy routine, and it was pretty long. And he basically was the only person who spoke. Steve said something short. Um, John said something a little longer, and then Rick got up there and took up all the time. And apparently, Chris Squire's kids were gonna. Um, what the fuck were their names? Scotland. Scotland. Scotland, yeah. yeah. Wow. Scotland and like Jasper or some shit. Um, Scotland Squire. It's something, no, it's something with a Z, with an yeah. X or something in this other kid's name. <laughs> I do like Scotland Squire. It sounds pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, so he tweeted out that, that, uh, that, that Rick Wakeman took up all the time and, didn't, and so Chris Squire's kids could do it. And like, this is an So the kids got cut. They couldn't talk. They got cut. And basically, Billy Sherwood was, was basically saying that Rick Wakeman's a selfish asshole. 
and 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 not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for not letting the dead guy's kids talk. Right, right, exactly. You know, I mean, like they induct these people; they've been working all their lives in the Rock. If 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 Rick Wakeman wants to get up and tell a couple of dick jokes, he should be entitled to I mean, at least yeah. that, you know. And, and, that, <laughs> and that's where he literally knew. Yeah, he told a couple of dick jokes. Yeah, it was a and, and, and it was basically the highlight of the entire show. It was. Show. Everybody's talking about it. It was, it was really, really funny. But, but that's the thing is, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like, it's their fault they didn't let the dead guy's kid talk, no? I, I agree. I, yeah. just, I mean, yeah. Well, well, I, hear this I mean, I guess, you know, maybe they were uptight about having the union guys work overtime if it went late. Because, well, there was the, the year that Nirvana played here. That was the year that they, it ended an hour and a half late because the E Street Band, uh, every guy in the E Street Band <laughs> talked for like a half an hour each. You oh, were probably that there. Take, that can take a week. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. So that, that was why, like, the Nirvana people didn't show up until, like, 2 o'clock in the morning because they were waiting for the E Street. Like, Dave Grohl was like, fuck the E Street Band, man. <laughs> They were all so fucking pissed off about it. But yeah, like they, it, it was cool. And then Tupac if Murphy's got in, Law gets in, uh, inducted, they'll, it'll have to Jesus be 14 Christ. days. Yeah. Like well, 150 it all depends on who they're going to let be inducted. That's the whole thing. It's like, that's the weird politics of that. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Pearl, Pearl Jam event, they had all their drummers uh, get inducted, which I think is right, especially since the early guys played on all the classic records. Yeah. And but, speaking of Nirvana, did they bring up, uh, I don't remember, did like Chad Channing and. Chad Channing did not get inducted, I don't think. I mean, he was there. Maybe he did. I don't remember. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was there because I think he came here. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure how that whole thing rolled, honestly. It's probably super uncomfortable, whatever. Yeah. He's probably made a decent amount of money off of, off of Bleach. So uh, you hope. Um, it's certainly sold enough. But, yeah, so then the woman sitting next to me, like they, they were like, and now... Snoop Dogg introducing Tupac, and I was like, I like, I stood up immediately, and I was I'm, I'm head to toe in Yes gear, like, oh, fanboy. Oh yeah, like my my limited edition uh, fucking Yes track jacket. If you're ever gonna pull that shit out, that's the time oh, to yeah. do it. Did you rock that '79 button? Of course, of course I did. Yes. I found a Yes 1979 tour button to, to go with my 1977 uh, jacket, to go with my yeah. 1978 T-shirt. Yeah, it's fucking pretty pathetic. Um, and uh, the wo- I just the woman's like you're not you're not gonna watch Tupac and this woman was sitting next to me and I was trying to explain to her who, who yes was because she had a little fucking clue and uh, and I was, she's like we're here for this and I was like I was like yeah it's called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and I just got up and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Joan Baez though. That Joan that Baez was, that was fucking <laughs> awesome. Actually, Joan Baez was after yes. Yeah. And and here's the thing about Joan Baez. She had the Indigo Girls play with her. Yeah. And they did this four part harmony, which you don't like a guy like me. Be, I'm into all that music, but I never get to see it live. Like mm-hmm. I, I've never seen Crosby, Stills, and Nash or anything mm-hmm. like that. And and uh, but I was brought up on doo-wop and shit like that. So I love I love yeah. when harmony is like so well done like that. And fucking hell, were they good? Like yeah. like I'm getting chills now. Like when watching it, you know, it's 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 a bit of like a protest gay lesbian thing, whatever. But like. And it was, she was very anti-Trump. She said a lot of funny She was shit very outspoken, I know. It was, I mean, that's Joe Biden. That's just fucking Joe Biden. That's, that's her thing. Yeah, yeah, I was investigating yeah. her at one yeah, point in yeah. her life. Yeah. You know, like, so I'd be disappointed if she wasn't like that stuff. She was, like, her with the Indigo Girls, and I love the fucking Indigo Girls, and everybody can fucking send me hate now for that one. But uh, the, the Indigo Girls' second record, which was their big one, um, 
it the, was the one where they spell girls with a Z at the I, end. That's the one that you did that. Did they? <laughs> no, that was their metal record. No, the, <laughs> oh, the metal record. Oh, God, I can only imagine. Yeah. The guitar player actually has a. The um, eye was left on cross. The one girl has a Husker Du tattoo on her arm. Does she really? Yeah, which is where, where I got the inspiration to get my Yes tattoo in the same spot. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. a little known fact. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were fantastic. It was like it was just. It's amazing to hear. People sing like that, have their voices sound so amazing and like it and totally live and just acoustic guitar and like you just I got that appreciation once I started working for Johnny Maestro here in like Duwa. Yeah, right? like the real like, deal. You know, come from the hardcore scene, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, these guys are fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they did this rehearsing and like getting ready and I'm like no mics, no nothing. There's something to be said for talent, Ron. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's fleeting and it's disappearing. But yeah, when you find well, it, it's I think, you know, I got to say that's, that I, I actually think that people who are famous now and make it now have to, besides the real big celebrity shit, like the Rihannas and whatnot, who basically are just personalities, they're not necessarily artists. Um, but like nowadays, you have to be way more talented. In the 90s, like in the mid 70s, it was like, eh. And then, like, in the 80s, you had to be super talented, but people got cheesy because of technology. And in the 90s is when really mediocre musicians could become famous off of one song. And then I feel like it started to change again. And more, and more recently, and a lot of people who work behind the scenes, honestly, who are the guys who are really making a lot of money, are insanely talented. They can play every instrument. The Linda Perrys of the world, you know what I mean? Like, just fucking ridiculous. Like, sit down and just fucking wail on any instrument like hey session guy I can play that better than you fuck you, you yeah know? yeah um, and, and so I actually think that like nowadays but it depends on the you job have to be insanely too. talented yeah I mean I'm not going to sit here and act like these hip hop guys are like really talented but they do shit I can't do I can't Certainly. I can't rap you know, <laughs> you know it, it, it's funny on uh <clears throat> You haven't asked me this one question, but I was... Ah, I fucked up the interview. No, 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 no. What? But, but, but it, it ties into this, and, and it was something that I've been thinking about. Like, I've been, uh, you know, when, when I've been doing the, some interviews about the, the history of guitar book, I'm going to push it back there for a second. Right. Um, people are asking me, well, you know, where do you see the future of guitar? What, where, where's the guitar going? What is, you know, that... And... Well, because sales have gone considerably down, right? Yeah, and and it's certainly like guitar isn't like on hit records that much, right. not really. You know, it's 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 the visibility of it's gone down. So people are always asking, and um, I, I, I sort of given a lot of really intellectually lazy answers. You know, mostly <laughs> because I just have hadn't put my brain to it that much, and uh, <clears throat> and I really think though this has been sort of bugging me is that it's not so much about the guitar, whether the guitar is relevant. It's like whether anybody with a guitar has anything interesting to say. To and, something and, new and, and different and challenging. Yeah. Do you think that that's part of the culture of coming up, listening to music that isn't, you know, like, well, I think, you know, when I look at, look at people that actually have something interesting to say, a lot of it is, in the hip hop world, I don't consider myself to be a hip hop authority or anything, right. but uh, these guys are super. Um, you know, like the new Kendrick Lamar record is is actually, you know, complex, and the guy has a lot of interesting things to yeah. say. He seems like a really smart guy. Yeah, yeah. and well, it's, a direct, it's a more direct medium vocally to connect. Yeah, certainly. but but Which rock is kind music. Of what punk was. But rock music used to have 
things to say as well as great music. Right. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, when was the last Pop time? Music has nothing to say, but that's kind of common. And yeah, what, what was the last time a rock band had something interesting to say? I mean, <clears throat> maybe it, I would say in the nineties. Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine. Go back to? Yeah. Pearl and, Jam. Uh, you know, like, like, uh, I mean, go further back, like Fugazi. In the mainstream but they world, yeah. They but I mean, in the underground, there's always thousands of people like that. But they're not influencing the masses. They're influencing. No, no, no. Stuff. Tell me, even I, I would love to hear it. Like, no, is, like is, is there a white says, rock band? It's like, is there some guy that's or black rock band? I don't care. Like, is there somebody with a guitar that is saying something that is provocative? Right. You know, and or clever or. You know, the some last band in a mainstream sense that I think was guitar oriented that I was like, wow, this is different. Was Queens of the Stone Age for me? Mm-hmm. They, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, they were the last one. They're the world's biggest cult band. I mean, yeah, hands I mean, down. Maybe besides maybe Fish. I but. mean, I listen to them. I'm like, oh, you listen to Master Reality. <laughs> I hear their influences and I know their past. But, but for that to get into places where they're playing the five to ten thousand people a night, I'm like, this is really different than what is being shoved down their throats. I'm not even yeah. talking about different. Because there's a lot of, like, great players, and there's a lot of great, like, guitar music, and there's a lot of, like, great sort of rock productions, but somebody that's really tapping into it. So, you know, tapping into what I consider to be the modern culture, uh, you know, youth culture. And marrying that with music. Yeah, and and doing that well. And I also think that to some some degree... uh, you know, when there became the split between black and white music, uh, that things also went a little bit haywire, a little bit south. I mean, it, it's sort of surprising to me that there's not like a great rapper that doesn't have his like Keith Richards, like have his guitar guy that you know. But it's all about the drum machines and the grooves, yeah. and it's a whole different culture. Well, I, I mean, thought hip hop for a while almost went into the live music thing, and I thought that was what it yeah. sorely needed at the time. There are some guys that, that do have the live band. Yeah, Roots thing, is but, the most obvious. But let's let's. Well, let's, Kendrick Lamar is a great yeah, band. Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Let's let's yeah. be honest about this. Like you know, you talk about this in your book yep. about the evolution of the big band to rock and roll, and how more efficient that was. So the big band is really expensive. There's ton, you know, it's the late forties. Yep. Really expensive to have all these musicians. You got to teach them everything. It's blah blah. blah. You got to transport them around. This is a total fucking pain in the ass. <coughs> Sorry, the guitar made it when it's amplified now, so that you could hear, like in a in a big room, you could actually hear the guitar, and and then like you know then you could make a racket. What was it? Was it Muddy Waters? It was Muddy Waters. Yeah, yeah. and like like for it, we had like the first small band: bass player, two guitar players drummer you know like and then and, and then, and all the instruments were amplified which was also right which was new. a huge yeah. thing yeah and and so and the amplification of the guitar only came from guitars trying to get through a big bands because you couldn't really hear it you couldn't hear an acoustic guitar over all the horns yeah so basically like that evolution happened so the big bands kind of went in eh, and that business went in eh, mm-hmm. and then and then then the then you go into rock and roll so now we're talking a five piece maybe you know, and that's been the standard for how long? Yeah. And now, what's happening is, first of all, to develop a rock band, it, like I, I mean, I know this firsthand because I've lived it forever and I'm still living it. The amount of fucking money it costs is insane. Yeah. It's insane. Like getting around, doing all the shit, you know, like and then having to deal with everybody's personalities and all that shit. Whereas, if the evolution has now gone to the singular person, it's just like one guy. 
and he can do it for really cheap. And and so you know, and like it, and you have that in metal too. You have these one man projects, like these black metal projects. Yeah, it, it's. Type. It's economics at the end of the day, you know. Like, yeah. but I'm talking about the list. It, it, it can be, it can be, but I, I still think that, you know, uh, it's even interesting because hip hop. Uh, I was talking to Chuck D actually, who was like a fascinating guy, and he was even sort of complaining about that. I'm like, well, what do you think about current hip hop? And he, he said, like well, he was sort of saying that, you know, back in his day, you had like five or six people. And it was cool because everybody was doing different things, and mm-hmm. you know you had you also had the choreographer, and you had this, and it was like a, a a unit, and it was a community and people. And now it's turned into the one guy, and he said that he feels that hip hop is is worse off for He's that. It's all about one up. guy, but but economically, the record companies love it. Of course, oh, yeah. you know, of course, because you know he's a rare breed because he came up and he talks about it. He was exposed to all different kinds of music. And I can tell you, when I meet younger people who only like hip-hop, they literally don't even understand rock music. Because the rhythm isn't doing the same thing over and over necessarily. They literally don't understand where the guitar is going. When you see when they listen to it, they go like this. Yeah, yeah. They don't even know how to, they don't even know how to absorb it. Because they've come up with this dumbed-down template of rhythm... And the guitar, and it just makes it more confusing for them. They literally, I remember sitting with this guy I worked with at the post office. I had to explain to him what the bass player was doing different from the drummer and what halftime was, because they don't have that in their music. Yeah, it's just the and same And then thing. when it went into like a faster part and then a solo, he looked at it like, like a spaceship landing. I never there. thought about that, because I don't think I've ever met anybody. But who, that's the way yeah. they are. They're, they're brought up with this... But you it's just, a simplistic rhythm. It's repetitive. The music it, is really minimal. If there's anything on the outside, it's just like a tweet or doop doop. It's like a noise. Yeah. It's not its own. It's a groove. Yeah. It's a groove based for it's sure. Groove based, and they always go to the groove, and sometimes they don't understand that it's supposed to go away from the groove, and sometimes the groove is just what's underneath it, and something's growing on top of it. They don't listen to music like that, right? Because they shake their ass to it. But right. but but, so but there's you, you you do have a band like Death Grips, which is almost like. Well, that crosses. Bam. Even though there's no guitar player in it, but yeah. it is a hip hop fusion. I just toured with a band called Horror that um, that they had a live drummer, but it was all samples. Yeah, and they rap and they they covered like Bad Brains, which was kind of a given, honestly. Like they have dreadlocks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two black kids covering Bad Brains. Like, all right, okay, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cutting <laughs> yeah. But and, and it's just a sample of Bad Brains. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Like it wasn't. <laughs> like there's no guitar in it. it yeah. The first time I saw it, I was like, "This is really weird." That and then, weird. and then I was just like, "Because they created it in their room, you know? They just created mm-hmm. a this uh, attitude, you know? They they created That's what they it with a drum machine, and and you know, like I don't know if they play guitar or not. I never got that far with them, but but it's but, different if they at least they're listening to it and in some weird way trying to incorporate it into what they do. Well, they're punk, they're punk kids. That's what they're into. Oh, okay. They're you know, kids. but but they but they are incorporating the hip hop thing, which. It has. I mean, I saw people react, and that was the thing that you know. You talk about this, the, yeah. bob, the head bob. Yeah. The head bob. The head bob is something that I think automatically happens whenever there's a great rhythm section, no matter yes, what. Exactly. You know, like like I've played with guys who, as soon as they start playing, you that's all you want to do. Mm-hmm. And taps it, taps into that by using like what is a great drummer, a guy who has feel, and and a big fucking bass drum, the John Bottoms of the world, you know. 
And that's basically what hip hop was doing was taking that sound and just in- intensifying it. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's it's the drum machine is sort of the new guitar, really, when it gets down to it. But that's an interesting. Uh, but, analogy, but 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 that's right. DJ equipment, you know. Like I, yeah, yeah. I guess it, I read something about like places like Guitar World and whatnot. That uh, not Guitar World, Guitar Center, are uh, are like gonna. That's a, they sell more DJ equipment than they do anything else. Yeah, yeah. But it's like it's a small part of their of their store, but they're selling more of it than anything else. But they else. have to. I mean, it's kind of the way that direction equipment. music's going. You have to kind of adapt, I guess, to survive, right? But 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 I, I mean, I, I keep on I keep on <laughs> so I keep on sort of getting back to this thing where, you know, who is who's saying something that's holding a guitar? Not I mean, there's a zillion great players. I mean. I, I hear great guitar players all the time. I mean, really impressive fucking people that can play the guitar yeah, and, and well, yeah. sort of do anything we with it. We have them here all yeah. the time. You, you yeah. know, every once in a while, you just be like, what the fuck is going on in yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. But, um, but again, what are you saying and what, what's, what's being said? I, I'm, I, I, think, I think that, you know, Personally, I always that's, the that's a scene. part of it. The punk scene was the only scene that I found for the last 30 years that really push boundaries lyrically and idealistically, sometimes really naive, but definitely going somewhere that mainstream rock mm. and metal weren't going right, at to, all. See, this is the, I've always been perplexed by, by the extreme music. And granted, it's what I grew up listening to, you know. And like, as far as getting a message across? As far as getting a message across, like, like you know, because you're not going to reach anybody. I used to say, I used to go to ABC in Rio, and I'd be like, you should all become lawyers. If you really want to fucking do something, become a lawyer, become a politician. But some of them do do that. Some oh, yeah. of them do There's that some... when they're not in their punk band. They became teachers and lawyers. Yeah, which and which is a great way to make a difference. Yeah. I in just society. screamed at the walls about my radical mm-hmm. politics. Exactly. I mean, I'm the, you know. Yeah, I'm the same way. And I, I mean, and so you know, I'm an asshole, but I just you know, I wasn't smart enough to be a fucking lawyer. But like, and nobody wants me as a teacher. But the the, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like like it's 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 inter- it's just interesting because like. And, like that—that's that's I'm not saying well, I'm not because in the seventies, in the seventies, the early seventies, you had Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah, like listen to the fucking shit that, and they and they had really stuff to rally against, to protest against. I think that that's back. Well, that's why everyone's saying against. now. But, but I'm, saying I'm not even punk saying going to be great again because Trump's punk, in office. But we don't back need the punk, era. We don't need punk to be. It's already great. Like what you yeah, need exactly. is is something in the rock, in the mainstream rock context, Completely. or the pop context that can actually speak to people in mass. You know, as opposed to like little, you know, people, bands that play here. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm speaking to 250 people who already have the same ideals. Well, that's always you know, been like, the problem with punk is like everyone in the room already agrees. So yeah. are you reaching anyone new? No, are you really you're not. creating anything? You know, it, you know, so what do you do? You play Southern Rock and you start. I don't think it, it has to be record. political. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it has to be necessarily political. I think like, you know, I look at my son who's who's 22 and um i see all of his friends and stuff and they have all these concerns and fucking anxieties and there's been actual cultural shift like on on sexual politics and on a whole bunch of different levels and it's the 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 generation is really in a completely different headspace and I, i find it fascinating but you again i go back to somebody like kendrick lamar i mean he'll talk about like his experience of being in in the black world and getting a beat down and how he feels about that you know it's like real some real stuff that that happened to him and i just feel like i had a friend that was uh in this really cool power pop band and i always told him you know you guys should really do a a pop opera about being like a latchkey kid (laughs) 
you know, like, and talk about all the shit that goes down, like when you're a latchkey kid. And I always wondered why no rock bands, like, talked about, like, the real shit of, like, what happened. Like, my parents are gone, so I fucked right. this girl and, you know, whatever, did drugs you know, and in the basement like, and, and stuff. A lot of people and, give them shit, but, like, you think about Pearl Jam. Yeah. A song like Jeremy, which was a huge hit. Yeah. That's about a school shooting. Or it's about, it's about a kid killing himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he brings a gun to school. Yeah. yeah. And about, the video even shows it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was very controversial at the time. Yeah. Um, I'm not sh- even sure it could be made and played nowadays, yeah. honestly. I think that they would try to stop it because the school well, shootings school have gone shooting through things now, roof. since yeah. that. Yeah. It's such that a touchy subject. But again, just to, to that point, that's why it should be talked about even more. You know, I mean, if yeah. that's yeah. really what's going down, you, you know. address it, you know. Um, but, but yeah. It, I think it, things being swept under the rug is why Donald Trump is now fucking... Yeah, I mean, you know, the grunge era, like bands like even the the Riot Girl bands, like Sleater Kinney and stuff. They were they were talking about all sorts of like interesting shit that was going. Well, Gloss talks about that now, but they just broke up. Gloss is. Oh yeah, Gloss was. Yeah, they were like the newest. You know, very DIY DIY hardcore band singing about all sexual identity politics. Yeah, and the singer was transgender. I'm just that's that's just the whole thing for me. Is like there's plenty going on in in guitar playing, but it's not being brought into mainstream music, and the people playing them, I don't know, are presenting any fresh sort of message. Industry though, in in the sense Mm. of like, look at hip hop. Let's use hip hop as an example. Ten, fifteen years ago, I think it's a failure of of imagination on uh, rock rock people. But I do think also that in certain political climates, it's not welcome by the industry. To, they don't. They didn't want thousands. Who cares about the? Nobody cares about the industry yeah, anymore. Not now in 2017, but at the same yeah. time, nobody cares about the industry. Now we have social media, and we can and we can go without it. And yeah. as much as we can but say, who cares no, about the industry? The, the, it is still who has the most money wins. Yeah, you know, like like they, they, it's it's unfortunate. You know, I, I totally get what Ross. But like, Earache like, Records isn't is going to reject you because you're talking about like no, a, but Earache Records isn't going to reach you know, nearly as many people right. as as uh, as some of the bigger indies and or majors, which do still exist, yeah, do still have the lines of distribution. And they have the money to get shit in front of people's faces, yeah, multiple times a day. Which I is, mean, and we're not talking about terrestrial radio. The real yeah. casual person, not the people like us who live and breathe music. The people who actually just turn on the radio. And put on CNN and Fox and watch the Super Bowl halftime and TMZ, real mainstream culture. Nothing that we're talking about even gets in the door there. Now, granted, that's not the real music scene, but that's still hundreds of millions of people. And so it's like we, we brought up, someone brought up Fagazi. They're huge in our world, playing Roseland. But they weren't even a blip on the fucking radar of the real music scene. No. So in our world, they're these giants. In reality, they're a little fucking ant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, the it, difference it, it, I'm making. Fugazi influenced people in basements. They influenced people who come to clubs like this. If you went to a normal school in 1994 when they were peaking, and you said Fugazi, 90 percent of kids would be like, "What the fuck is that?" Yeah, yeah. and that's the real core because and they're the those, pin, they're the pinnacle. They're yeah. the pinnacle of, of that. Yeah, of the yeah, record they were like influence DIY and, and as hell, and still and playing Roseland. Two nights in a row and selling it out in 1993. For five bucks. For five dollars. <laughs> and, you know, that's the pinnacle of, like, DIY culture, but also just doing it outside the quote-unquote system. Granted, it was before social media, and you don't rely on it anymore. They would be huge now. They'd be massive. Yeah. They'd be massive, because now they could just... But, but that's my point. 
like yeah. like if you had like a guy like Ian Mackay who really right. had vision yeah. and was saying something interesting and about contemporary integrity yeah. and yeah. and and had something to really say yeah, about contemporary culture you put that on social i don't know if i see i mean i I would love if somebody proved me wrong on that you know i think they're out there but i think that there's such a there's such a i think they're out there but they're not you know honestly like a lot of it's changed a lot of there's a lot of podcasting that's gone on that's come become a new way of people it's alternative media it's alternative media and and it's and it's some of it's bullshit obviously you always have that but but uh but you know it's a new way of reaching people with new ideas i don't think people look to music for that stuff I don't anymore. think they, they do don't. either. And, and it's that's sad. And maybe it's because no one's doing it and doing it you right. You know what part of the problem is? We could form a band right now, go in there and record it, and in two hours have it on the internet. And when there's that much music out there, it's like so hard for the regular person mm, to, I, I, to I, absorb I, it. I, yeah. I, I, I disagree. I think that there is no... I, don't, I think it's a, a, a problem of, of messaging. I, I think it like there's nothing that's resonating. Uh, I... I'm you know, talking about it's one thing to have the computer as the yeah. avenue. It's another thing to realize that every day, say you just take heavy metal. If you go online and really scour, there's 150 new recordings a day. When I was a kid with a paper route, I went to the record store. There were three new records a week. Yeah, It's overwhelming. It is. It's fucking overwhelming. And, and, and with that, it's harder to break through. And like you're saying, I think there's a quality versus quantity issue as well. I don't think there's as many people... Really breaking down the door, really doing something daring, intelligent, and different. But so it's so hard the to stick out. It's so hard. No, yeah, but grind. but in the hip hop world, you know, the, these guys are all trading. T- you totally. know, pe- I mean, pe- people are people are rising to the top. There's a lot of people out there like doing underground Definitely. shit, and um, I don't know. You know, it, it 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 like I said, I think it it has to do with with the messages that are putting out what. That, that people are putting out. Well, there's a lifestyle that they sell. It's also an image. It's an image and a My lifestyle. My cousin's a, a hardcore yeah. kid who became a hip-hop guy. He was in a hardcore band that was, you know... Well, hardcore is lifestyle. Heavy metal's lifestyle. But now he's doing hip-hop, and he's been doing it for a year and a half. His YouTube views... Uh, he has one and a half million views on his YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's insane. His hardcore band is like 600. Yeah. And all he... And he just switched the avenues. And it's, he, it's, it's, it's the demographic. It's, a, it's that's the demographic. What, that's what a, the age group, your son's age group, that's what they listen to. Yeah. yeah. And they're the people that are staring at their phones. It's also how they find music. Hip-hop kids go but it's to a, the, the internet. The, we the, go to the, clubs. The concentration yeah. is YouTube. on the words, and you're forced to be super clever with what you're saying. Right. And yeah. what, so it's pushing the what it is. They're, they're pushing each other. Yeah. To, I mean, rock, I believe, like, in metal, like it's pushing that sort of instrumental envelope a lot of times, but the concentration on what's really being said, yeah. which is how people a lot of times, you know, get into music. Like, you know, we're, we're guitar nerds and stuff, so we're like, oh, wow, you know, that, that band sounds great or whatever, you know. But again, is, it, is, is there a message that's, that's getting through? Is there, are, are people really. Well, I got into and, 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 metal and, and, you know, so everybody says how I felt. Right. Metal and there was, was at the time there was metal that was doing it as well. I mean, even if you listen to like P cells, you right. know what I mean? Like and Metallica too. Metallica was like oh, yeah. all those bands Met- were Metallica was the thrash bands were a little more socially conscious, a little more living in the real world. But I was before that. I listened to satanic metal. I was all about getting laid, driving your car, and worshiping Satan. And then my friend played me pissed off outcast punk music, and immediately I'm like, that's me. 
Yeah. I don't care so if the guitar you, sucks. I mean, that's fucking me, and that taps into my primitive range. That range. thing is what's happening with people when they're listening to... They're that's finding hip-hop. something to connect to with hip-hop much more than they are with... I think so. With, I think so, with so rock too. Music. I agree with that. But mainstream rock has gotten so fucking lame. I know, I know. I mean, so I'm saying it's not talking about anything. Like the, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it, it might as well be some, like, fucking like Bobby V bullshit or whatever. Sort of yeah. Become yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just this fluffy like, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, in country, the only difference is that country talks about your pickup and the driveway. And, and nobody boots. wants to hear, you know, Pearl Jam any more than the Rock and Roll fucking Hall of Fame. No, I mean, there's got to be somebody, you know, younger that... No, it's an oldie circuit. Yeah. But, but I think that there's a lot of things in, in hip-hop, like, you know, that doesn't that you know uh, is talking to black culture and white culture it's sort of crossing over and uh, but I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that's just not being represented in, in the new generational teenage world that, that somebody could stand to be a spokesman I don't think it's their musical avenue unfortunately it's to use heavier music to use it they, they go more to hip hop unfortunately yeah, I mean, there's people like 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 kids out there are just like sw- you know have so much anxiety and fucking swallowing drugs and whatever the kids you know to to, to, to you know just dealing with their yeah. everyday life because of and of like, all the pressures and tensions and social media has just. Uh, created like t- just such an onslaught of information. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like none of that you, stuff's being yeah. talked about. You, you know? can't yeah. absorb anything. So, like, you know, I, I think that again, but this goes back to like how much stuff comes out. If you're into music, there's so much stuff to see. That's through. what I was saying. Yeah. But but just in general, the ads, the like, you know, like you you're, you don't spend any more than like two minutes on anything. Yeah. You know, like, like you, you, an article comes up you want to read. Maybe you get halfway through it. Well, it's soundbite like, culture now. Yeah, everything is a soundbite well, Whether culture. you're it, clicking on it or you're hearing it, you're like, get to the point. That's how it is because everyone – I do it too. I open 15 windows on my computer and it's everything from the most radical politics to the new record coming out. And then I see the articles this long and I'm like, fuck, I don't have time for that. Yeah. I'm like, I but in reality, you do that. if you just closed a few of those windows. And it is. <laughs> and since I have so many interests, whether it be music or politics, whatever, I'm like – I'm. I'm flooded. It's funny. It's interesting because it, it means that people like it's. I, I read something the other day about uh, about expertise being a lost art. So like having uh, like having single focus, one single thing yep. that you single get into focus and know is really gone. well about. It's like you read three books. It's hard. Months. It's hard. It's hard, man. But um, it was. I, I, have, I have another name that I'm going to bring up that was that's probably pretty radioactive to your audience, Uh-oh. but awesome. but but. Uh, it was, a, it was a, it was a super it was actually a, a super interesting conversation because he's he's a bit manic or, or something anyways but I did an interview with John Mayer recently oh sick guitar player sick guitar player sick, sick unbelievable but anyways as a human being he's dudes all over the map but anyways he's he's just recently released his record in four song segments so he released four songs. Then a month later, he's right. releasing four more, and I'm like, "Why are you doing that?" And he said, "No one makes the, ba- the, the 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 barrier to get anybody to listen to twelve songs anymore is so high. It's yeah. so hard to get anybody to sit down and listen." He said, "Like he, 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 the example he uses, he said like the new Red Hot Chili Peppers single, like he goes, I love that song. I think it's like the best thing that they've done in like twenty years. I That's love that song." <laughs> and but 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 anyways, he said I, I love that tune, and he goes, but and I, and I love the band, but I haven't 
gone out and listened to their right. album, their new album, yeah, right. you know. That's, and and, and I, I, when, when he said that to me, I go like, fuck, I haven't even heard the new single. <laughs> but, but, uh, but anyways, um, but so, so, so he said, so I want to lower the barrier right. of people being able Smart. to, like, even well, my fans. This is the thing, you know, Brad, like, the, the, I mean, you don't have to look anywhere further than fucking Spotify. Yeah. And you can see... On the, and it doesn't even matter if it's a hit record or a hit band, whatever. The, after the fourth song, the plays go half, 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 yeah. half. Literally. Not existent by the bottom. Nobody fucking listens to And it. you brought up Chuck D before. Yeah. Back when the incident thing was just starting, he was predicting the death of physical music very early. And yeah, he yeah, got yeah. into it with, I think, Slam Jams' label. And he talked about how, he, in his opinion, a lot of artists weren't even going to make full-length records anymore. They were just going to make singles. Yeah, I mean, like people really saying that for years. But you, know the, the but you know what the problem is? It's really commerce. The commerce of, you can't, if you want to just put out EPs, they can't charge as much, but it costs just as much to make it. Yeah. So, so like, that's where the problem lies. Where you have, you have an album, you can charge $10, and that money for recording and the layout and the pro, production of it can all be, you can make a bigger dent on it. So they don't give a fuck if you're not making it to the last song. But like the, whoever's putting it out, I mean, believe me, I've thought about this a million times, and a, a lot of the pop artists... The Rihanna's of the world, but they put out one song a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's it. Like if they make a song, they put it out. They make a song, they put it out. I think the and blueprint for something like that is now just to keep pumping out singles. Right, it's, it's, it's about relevant content. in their world. It's about content. Where it, in our world, it's a, it's you a, wait for a new album. It's a, it's a throwback. But but actually, even when we were listening to albums. That was almost addressing this issue because you could listen to four songs on one side and you didn't have to feel obligated to even flip the Depending album how good it was. on right. side two. Yeah. Like, no, but I mean, like, it, it sort of fit your lifestyle better. Like, when I was a kid, oh, I'd listen, I'll listen to a side of a record. Like, four songs. Right. I'm out of there in 15 minutes. I think, there's a <laughs> yeah. fresh, I think there's a threshold. Yeah. And, and, and so many, it's the way that people consume media now, too, where, you know, I find myself. Like I had, I I just finished uh, recording an album, and I was sequencing it, and I wanted to listen to the whole thing. It's thirty, little under thirty-five minutes, and I couldn't get through it. Somebody calls me, you know, like, like I, I get, get a text curious. message. I got like fucking, you know, like I'm I'm walking by, I run into people I know. I'm just like trying to fucking listen yeah. to this record, I, and I don't want to be in the house because I know I'll stare at Doctor Phil. So I'm just like fucking, like, what do I do? And and I literally couldn't get through my own fucking record. Yeah. Isn't that sad? <laughs> like, it's true though because I find it between the cell phone and Facebook page open and all this stuff. I'm like. I just want to be alone with this record like when I was 12 and I bought Blizzard of Oz. It's impossible. And it's almost impossible. Yep. It's mm-hmm. almost impossible unless it's 2.30 in the morning and the whole world is asleep but me. And those are my... That's why when I take the train here, it's my favorite time. Oh, yeah, I yeah. pick a record. For 45 minutes, the whole world is gone. There could be a nuclear war happening. I'm listening to fucking Turbo Negro. Whatever the fuck's in my head. That's mm-hmm. totally... Dude, I, I listen... I listen so to the, rare it, these The extent days. that I can listen to is my subway ride or my drive from my house to here. This is my mountain bike and my train yeah. ride. That's it. That's my time with music, sadly, now. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's distractions with that, too, like the noise of the train, yeah, all of that totally. shit. Like, you don't, like, you're not getting the full experience that's meant to be had, and it's gone. It's dead. It's oh, never going to come back. it's mostly this thing, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, This is course. the main thing, for sure. Yeah. Well, not your fucking thing. Well, not mine, I don't have internet on mine. <laughs> it's just the tech. He doesn't want the government tracking him. Yeah, they don't. It's kind of sad. They, they know within five miles of him. <laughs> but I would never be at St. Vitus if they were really looking for me. No, of course Suddenly not. I would be at the church down the block. Because <laughs> that fits my... my Don't worry, we, we had the walls... Uh, we had the walls... 
made of material that they can't I'd appreciate track you in. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll transition one more to a stupid joke that I made recently. Awesome. So I'm, uh, I, I'm, uh, Speaking I w- of long things that we can't get through, it's almost two hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, I interviewed uh, Roger Waters the other day. Oh, for his new album? Yeah, for his new record. Cool. And so it was funny, like the night before, uh, I was watching the the news and Donald Trump was on, and they were talking about the wall you know they kept on talking about the wall him building the wall yeah, you know yeah. and i'm like fuck roger waters he's got to be getting like pissed off it's almost like a, a personal thing against his whole his whole thing but, but 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 oh, then yeah. but but then they kept on talking about how mexico is going to pay for it and so uh so i go to see roger waters and i, I say first thing i go so so roger if mexico is going to pay for the wall i hope it's a box set <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Roger like looks at me. Did uh, I get lost? What did you know? Oh, he, oh, yeah, he was just. Oh, like, I don't think Waters has much of a sense of humor, British or not. He's I, pretty I, intense. He, 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 sort of, he sort of looked at me like, eh, okay. <laughs> I thought I had the, the perfect. Damn, open. I was like, that's I, how you opened it. I, I thought it was like uh, Bafo, you know. That should have been shit. Thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But he was very nice the rest of the He was cool the rest of it's, it's supposed to be. It, I suppose harken back to late 70s. Well, well, look, he hasn't done a record in 22 years. Yeah, believe it or not. Like, I'm, I'm oddly a, a huge fan of the Final Cut. Yeah, which I know is a much uh, argued about record. That's interesting in the Floyd yeah. world. Um, yeah, I, I just love that record. I think it's brilliant. I like. I like really like when I when Floyd gets quiet. I really like it. Yeah, and you know, and, and talk about political. Jesus yeah. Christ. Like he, yeah, he was saying shit, but he's saying shit to a generation. Like he was so fucking obsessed with his father's death. Yeah, I mean yeah. the final cut, like p- parts of that were written during the wall sessions, and I think Ezrin cut a lot of those songs out in order to make the storyboard of of, of what the wall. the wall became. Yeah, and uh, but they like that. Like the final cut is such an insanely emotional record. And there's a song called um, uh, uh, "When the Tigers Broke Free." Which is the actual story of how his dad was killed, and it's done in like a military march, and it is just like goosebumps all over your body. Like when you, when I didn't, you know, when I first heard the song, I had because it was a later addition to the final cut. It was, uh, it wasn't on the original record. Oh, it's an added. Yeah, they added it like in. A CD and I don't know where I where I heard it originally. Maybe like, oh, it's in the wall, the movie. Okay. It's in the actual movie, but it wasn't on the record. Okay. So so. Uh, I remember, like, I listened to the song. I love this song. I love this song. And then I finally read what it was about, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, now that's having something to say. Yeah. Fuck. Like, you're making an anti-war statement using a personal experience. Like, and and you know, kids today, they're like, World War II is such ancient history. They're like, yeah. "What's this?" Like, fucking, I don't get this. But at the same time, I think you could relate to it still because we're still bombing people. Yeah. You know, well, society, civilization is still bombing people. But, you know. It, it, well, there's perpetual war or the threat of perpetual war. Right. So war is always a, you know, a, a universal theme. Or and it's not going anywhere. I no. mean, so it's big business aside from the fact that people don't get along. Yeah, this record, the, the new record, the new Roger Waters thing, it's 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 a super angry political record. You know, he, he I, called, the interviews I saw were really he calls Do- Donald Trump shit for brains and and uh, nincompoop on the record. You know, Sounds but cheesy. but there's <laughs> no nah, no nah, actually there's like some shit where he's, he's like really he's just talking anti-Israel. He, he's yeah. just he's, he's just boycotted by certain people talking about like some mundane thing. 
And then, like, all of a sudden, then he talks about, like, well, you know, a drone coming. Like, he's setting up a mundane scene. Right. And then a drone just comes in, blows the shit up. Uh, and then the music comes in. It's like, shh. <laughs> he's using that sound effect again? It's like the fifth record. Yeah, yeah no, he likes that one. He likes yeah. it. Uh, it works for what he does. N- Nigel, Nigel uh, Godric uh, produced it. Oh, cool. Great sounding record. Guy. Yeah, yeah, Radiohead guy. Paul McCartney guy. Paul McCartney guy. Yeah. That's the right guy for him to work with. Yeah, yeah. In that. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to the record. He's really well spoken with his yeah. politics, and he's very measured with his music, so he doesn't... I think. He was super nice to me. Yeah, and uh, that, that I found that a little disturbing. I sort of you wanted him to be an asshole. Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw a little bit. Huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's, have let's, we been too nice? Uh, David Gilmore, yeah, my yeah. guitar player. Of yeah, all yeah, time? yeah. I have, I have very spoke nice to him on the phone once. Fellow, <laughs> I urinated next to him once at a, a, I think a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame deal. Had that guy? Yeah, it's okay. Is it big? <laughs> I, I, I didn't look. I didn't look. Cut he, cut he did wash cut. his hands, though. That, that was reassuring. No, good. Afterwards. Nice. Yeah. I just missed the band band big ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've, I've talked to... I've, I've, <laughs> I've talked to Gilmore a couple of times. He's a, he's a good guy. He's a smart, thoughtful, whatever you would think you yeah, know, he'd be. Like yeah, and, and yeah, another guy is extremely rich. Yeah. Well, he, uh, actually, Gilmore, the best line ever in the history of Guitar World was we were requesting, we were asking him to do something or other. He had put out like one of these records, a live record or something, and... Uh, they sent back a, a, a note to us that David said, I'm far too old and far too re- rich to really care. Brutal honesty. <laughs> Brutal honesty. That's refreshing. Wow. That's a Noel Gallagher and, honesty. And, I, and, I, and I, I applauded it. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. If I was you, you dude. Yeah. I always I mean, love when Noel Gallagher does that. She's just like, well, you realize how rich I am, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I just read how rich he is. $36 million. So, yeah. I don't know, 50. Him and Liam combined. 50, I think it was. Yeah. Pounds, sorry. Yes. Dollars. But yeah, that's... Well, yeah. But that's Noel has more because he has 100% of the publishing. Oh, oh, he has 100%? Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was his little... The s- taking it all. The smart, the smart one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the one who could actually write songs, too. I mean, have you heard? Mm. <laughs> songs like Little James or uh, anything that Liam, Liam I can't wait to hear Liam's solo record I didn't mean to switch gears we have to mention Oasis at least once on the podcast you do I, <laughs> I don't have to talk about Oasis ever unless you're talking about the Flawful place down the road <laughs> best Flawful around wonderful place wonderful place I did get food poisoning at the one in Williamsburg did you really? yeah oh that, that's yeah. like damn so, of my mood yeah it was really cool but it's a good place did you eat the meat or the Flawful? no I had a Flawful wow oddly enough because normally I would get the shawarma and I got the falafel. I don't know what the fuck was and going on. And it wrecked you. It wrecked me. Damn. And I had to work that night, and it was terrible. This is many years ago. I hope they cleaned it up, because I love that place, and I eat there fairly regularly. Yeah, no, I, it never, <laughs> I, I did also. And I, yeah, it's, I high, it's hard to keep those places clean, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah it should happen. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't exactly. look clean. It's just good. <laughs> and I mean, how, you know, it's like... Sounds like a good know. monster movie, The Shawarma. <laughs> <laughs> Beware of the shawarma. I can see little Japanese people running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this giant spindle meat. Yeah. <laughs> Cable access style. I think, like, you got anything else you want to talk about? What else you got in the nah. pipeline? Hour two, which, I, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to kill people. The books out. Bored. What else you got? Bored. Anything immediate coming up? Uh. 
No, I guess I got some people circling around wanting to do a documentary, one of those TV shows of the book, you know, which would be oh, cool. sort of really awesome. Yeah. But, nah, uh, you know, it's good, man. It was nice talking to you guys. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Super fun, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super fun. I, yep. I, I've been anxiously awaiting to be able to hear some uh, some of your many, many stories yeah. on microphone. I get to hear them outside. Of it. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something, though, because you were talking about music and the lack of whatever. Uh, is there, Are there any new bands or artists that you really are impressed with in the last couple of years that you think should be bigger or just find inspiring, enjoyable? Uh, I always get this question and I for, forget what it is that, why I, but, but, you know, like, like I said, I hear, I hear like really great sort of guitar music all the time. I guess the last person that I heard that I was just like completely flabbergasted by was, uh, Tosa Nabasi of, uh, Animals as uh, yeah, Leaders. Well, they're playing here next week. No. Oh, really? Yeah, they're doing Tuesday and Wednesday, two nights. Really? Uh-huh. Ah, it was like a last guys. minute thing because their tour got canceled. Wow. They were supposed to tour with Corn, and oh yeah, the, I guess Fieldy has some personal problems. He's yeah, the Corn tour just that, got canceled. They were opening. You're right. Um, hi, Steve. Hey, Steve. That um, dude is like the Michael Jordan of whatever. He's oh, he's phenomenal. Yeah, I saw him at the Generation X thing. But 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 talking about like. Great. I mean, this is a little corny, but great songs and great writing is like the fucking dude from the Shins always. Yeah, I don't know. Freaking. I, I would think that you would love those guys because, in a weird way, they're really prog rockers. Yeah, I mean, they're, I think I think I just never got past their first hits because they were so sort of indie schmindy. Yeah, you know, it's got that Northwest like soft swing, like indie, Cap- yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that, 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 it's it's like. The songs are really good, and the arrangements are, are really amazing. Yeah. I will listen to the first four songs yeah. on Spotify. <laughs> that's John Mayer. That's all I will follow his template. Yeah. Uh, and what old artists? I'm trying to think. Well, you know, I mean, new reference, maybe. my son's been playing, like, Death Grips nonstop, so yeah. I've been listening to, to those guys. I think it's really cool. Uh, the new Gorillaz record. Haven't heard it. I haven't heard it. Interesting. Yeah. You know? Uh... But, like I said, it's sort of it's sort of weird out there because you know it, it, it's one of those things you, you, you th- say, "Is it me?" <laughs> I, t- I do that all the time. You know, yeah. is it me? Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm I'm yeah. out of touch. You yeah, know, I mean, or whatever. You get older, where you feel instinctively like you're out of touch when, as kids, come up with newer stuff that. You either don't like, or is it mm-hmm. so different than what you normally like? But but I, I, I come out to I come out to Vitus. I'm here quite a bit, and so, I always yeah, find you're like here more than me. I I, <laughs> I hear a lot of interesting bands, but you know I I don't know if there's anybody here I've really embraced and said, oh gee, that's a, that's that's blowing my mind right now. I have one more quick question. Yeah. Um, in the early '90s, when bands like Nirvana and Weezer, bands that were more power chord based, yeah. more simple songs. Yeah. How did that change your job and your approach and just the overall yeah, it was conversation sort of, the, of talking to a musician? Sort of the it's less of the detailed, guitar. less anal, less obsessive about equipment, and they almost downplayed it for almost like a credibility. It's sort of like the death of a guitar hero. Yeah. That time. So with that in mind, how did that change? When the, when the Nevermind hit and that whole wave came in, how did that change what you do? And did it change? They just, not interviewed, just, the audience, they just interviewed Steve Vai every week. I mean, you know... 
how did you adapt to that is really the question. Well, on a personal level, I was sort of relieved uh, because it had gotten to that point where there were a lot of, again, amazing guitar players at the surface at the service of absolutely nothing to say. Like I can actually remember, uh, you know, uh, this, I think it was like a Doc and Live record or something came out and, you know, George Lynch was one of the staples. And, uh, (laughs) okay, and George solos were amazing. Okay, but Doc and songs were the worst excuse. No way, dude. No, you cannot convince me. I really like the first record. I'm alone again without you. No, no, no. No? Tooth and nail. That's better. Can you you say that they ever came up with even one remotely interesting chord progression? I mean... George Lynch? Yeah. No, 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 no. George Lynch was a great guitar player. And so... It's not love. I always like that song. I got to get you together with Tom Bojour. But... No, so I, I just remember having to go through that live record and fast-forwarding to just listening to all the solos because I couldn't get through the songs. I mean, I just <laughs> I would just listen to George play. It was just amazing. Just listen to Mr. Scary over and over again. It was, it, it was no, no, no. I mean, like, like he always had something interesting to say on the guitar. But I, I never felt like the songs. And, you know, you had stuff like Vito Brada, who was the Shakespeare of of, of lead guitar playing. So elegant, so elevated. But then you had to get through Mike Tramp in order to get to uh, (laughs) a Vito Brada guitar solo. So I certainly see where this is going. You were were done. So, so yeah, Yeah, I mean, you know, Pretty Boy Floyd and all the stuff that was... But one of them was in no, Jeff no, Black, no. But, but, which but, is so obscure. It's but ridiculous. It would, it would just <laughs> keep on coming, and it would, it would just keep on. And, and I remember going to Maxwell's. Like, uh, we had an art director from Seattle saying, oh, you should hear these bands coming out of Seattle. And this was before, like, a lot of those bands broke. And he dragged me down to Maxwell's to go see Soundgarden. Oh. And, and I was just like... We both saw Soundgarden early. Yeah, yeah. I was early. just like... I was into them in the SST days yeah. Right yeah. before they got signed. And yeah. I was like... Oh my God! This okay, is the second coming of Black Sabbath. This is some great Robert shit. And but with like the butthole surfers mixed in. Yeah, and and, and the the music's great, and yeah. uh, uh, and the lyrics are good, and actually the songs are interesting, and and so that's sort of where I felt uh, like many, many, many. I think many other people did was like, holy crap! Okay, this is like interesting. And and it's like guys again. We're getting back to this theme of like having something sort of interesting to and say. And it was bubbling for a while. And, grunge hit. And, and it was bubbling. There was yeah. a lot of interesting shit going on in the guitar. It was like sort of different, but it was like these different tunings. And it was guys who grew up Th- Greg Ginn Kim, instead of Kim, growing up on yeah, Randy Rhodes. They all open tunings, right? Yeah, and, and Kim Thale really uh, was like a super interesting player. I mean, like. But then you go see them live. I remember so, I saw them at Sundance. Yeah, with Faith the, and Voivod. And yeah, they, they like, like, Chris Cornell was fucking out of control. He tried to kick out all the lights. He tried like, to put the mics down they, to the ceiling. Yeah, they put, they put a hole in the ceiling. Pick, all the monitors are thrown everywhere. Mm-hmm. It, was like, it was like, I'm watching this band that sort of sounds like a mathy Sabbath. 
with Robert Plant singing, and this guy's like a total fucking insane punk guy. Yeah. Like, it was just a mishmash of shit. Yeah. And, yeah. and but like, just, I was floored. I yeah. mean, I just was fucking floored. Yeah. And Faith and More was the first band on that tour. And Real Thing had and, just and, come and, out. And, and I, I, them, I, I really, at the time, I really didn't dig them, but. But uh, they got big very quickly after that. Soundgarden yeah. took a little bit, but yeah. but like Soundgarden, like I felt bad for Voivod. I was like, Jesus Christ, I gotta follow this. Yeah, yeah. like this band just like fucking blew the doors off the place. Yeah. It was it, it really impressive. And I and at the time I was like a pretty purist metal hardcore kid. I did have uh, see, I was Ultra already into okay. Soundgarden for like two years at that point because I was into all the touch and go and sub pop stuff and from SST, the beginning, yeah. SST, all that stuff. But uh, I felt like that's what was happening. You know, my friends were still like shredder guys, and I had moved into punk and hardcore and experimental mm. indie stuff. So I mean, I and was. Then, don't forget that these thrash metal bands were all coming out at that point, Guns and Roses, and it was just so much. I don't know. You know, I mean, there was plenty of cool guitar playing going on in, in that world too. So yeah. there wasn't like any lack in the nineties no. of of like guys that could right. play. So to me. You know, like, what was it? Hair metal was sort of like that weird face in hip hop where it was like, you know, gold chains and, you know, hey, my yeah. bitches and all that stuff, you know? I mean, it, it just was a super weird commercialized thing. It wasn't, didn't feel genuine at all. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, man, I, I mean, I, I, I loved it. You know, Nirvana, that, that was pretty undeniable, you know? Yeah. And uh, there were a lot of great bands. Uh, coming out during then, so so I was I was happy because I was like I don't know what I was like thirty or something, so I was relatively an adult by that time too, you know. <laughs> uh, but but I, I you know it's funny like interns would come into my office and they'd be so disappointed with me because they would see like the veil would be lifted. I never had any problem covering those bands mm-hmm. like or covering Vito Brad or covering George Lynch or covering those because I could see from a musical point what of view, people, liked it, people loved about it and they wanted to learn about it and it brought them into the, the mix. But as a person that just dug music, you know, I was like, I think everybody else a little relieved when when yeah. that went away, you know, no more warrant, you know, whatever. <laughs> MTV was so sad at that point, you know, it was like, uh, and every once in a while you get like a, like when Skid Row put out Slave to the Grind, it was like, oh, this, this is pretty good. You know, like, it's like just throwing you a bone. Like, <laughs> And those guys are, those guys are great. Dave, Dave Sabo is like a hilarious dude. Fellow Polak. Snake. Nice. Snake. Snake. Yeah. Good dude. Mm-hmm. Recorded it for a week at his house. Nice. Did you feel a backlash from like people had like subscribed to your magazine when you were? I, I, I got to tell you, embracing the early and mid nineties cultural shift. Did it? I mean, it had to affect you, them. You, you guys would. You, you guys wouldn't necessarily. I mean, unless you were following the magazine, but. I was relatively fearless, and I tried to be that way up until the end. You know where. I was always trying to find out what that next thing was going right. to be. I was always trying to push, well, part of your job. push it. You know. But I just had a curiosity, a nat- natural sort of, like, I like to hear new things. I like to hear fresh ideas. And so... Like, did uh, you have old metal guys and prog guys being like, why would you interview Thurston Moore? Well, you know, Ingve, kind of you know, Ingve would... He's always like spitting in my face one night about like you know why we were covering all the the the, the, the grunge stuff. Got to sell magazines, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I'm going know. to see him next week. Yeah, 
Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's a phenom. He's ridiculous. It's, it's yeah. unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable what Watch, he does. I, I go just to see him, the endurance test. <laughs> like, like he could be, he's literally playing the same thing in every song. Yeah. But it's like, he's playing that fast for two hours. Yeah. It's fucking insane. Usually your brain is about to fucking explode. But it was interesting. I and to cleaner see the, than fucking. He's yeah, throwing it all up in the air and the, the thing and the blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, and it's really. It's a show. It's like going to see the Grand Canyon or something. I mean, it's just this natural phenomenon. <laughs> Totally. That you can't see anywhere totally, else. Totally. It's a fucking freak show. It's awesome. <laughs> but, you know, I have to say that Generation X, when I saw that, which was Steve Vai and, and, um, mm-hmm. and uh, what's his nuts? Nuno was it Oh, no, no, no. Nuno uh Zach Wilde, and Tosin Abasi. Um, they, like, you could really see where Ingve was lacking. You know what I mean? And fucking Zach hated him, apparently. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to know that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there was a, there was, it was a really odd... Like relationship between the two of them, um, but like watching you know Betancourt play guitar was pretty phenomenal. I gotta say, but completely different. He, he could shred, but he didn't want to. He would rather sort of like play the, the, the he melodically shredded, shall we say? His, his style approach is more simmered down. But, yeah, but know. he's I mean, astounding players, yeah. dude. Holy shit, I was floored. And you know, Ingve comes out and does his fucking. Ridiculous! Like, it was so funny. He had nine full stacks in the back, <laughs> and uh, and fucking and like. But I gotta say, the fucking Steve Vai, holy shit! What the fuck is that guy on? He is, Dude, it was like he's incredible. He's like a fucking magician. Like the sounds he gets out of a guitar, are insane. Dude, I, on top of that, like I heard him play with a bunch of Indian musicians one time, mm-hmm. and like uh, playing all that crazy microtonal stuff. And he was playing all of it, like with these, like these, you know, straight up Indian musicians, where it was just like, you know, like playing complete. Yeah, like, it's really hard to mix the Western music with that. It's fucking. And uh, and, and he was doing it beautifully, and uh, it was weird. I, I, I love Steve. Uh, I actually produced a record for his label last year of oh, cool. all all women guitarists. Oh, you um, told me about that. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. But uh, <clears throat> he's uh, he's like a. Uh, uh, sort of a such a self-effacing but uh, a genius anyways he came out with this record that probably only handfuls of people listen to but but really as a guitar player it's just a freak show what's it called it's the it's the he did put out passion he he put out he put out (laughs) passion and warfare yeah and then he put a record with it that was based on a bunch of music that he wrote before passion and warfare but he recorded it now and there's this one song i can't think of the name of it but i was listening to it and so it's this thing where he is playing this really winding freaking lead guitar sound with these like little whammy dips and everything like that and through the whole thing there's like a a a string section that's completely following everything that he's doing yeah and it, it it's it's like uh it's like the shot in the goodfellas you know where they just fought, where it just the goes on forever. Shot, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That one continuous shot thing. And so I thought because there's all this stuff right now that he had somehow um, made strings of MIDI sounds. Had had yeah. the guitar triggering and yeah. following his thing because it was so exact. And I said, I was like Steve, like 
Every time I listen to your records, I go try to find something new I haven't heard before. And that I never heard, and it just blew me away. And, he's, and it's like one like two-minute thing out of a, right. an hour of insanity. And he said, ah, oh, man, I'm so glad you noticed that, you know, because I, I was, you know, I was really proud of that. And I go, so, so how did you do that? Like I, I said, did you have the thing following your guitar? He said, no, actually, I'd written out that whole part. And then I thought, boy, wouldn't Jesus it be cool Christ. if I played a guitar line along with it exactly? Wow. And, the, and he just learned how to play the part on the guitar. It did the, did the whole thing. And like I said, it's, it goes through these weird microtonal bends, and he's following it with the whammy bar. Just like impossible shit. Yeah. I mean, and, it's, and, it's watching him play is just like, and he's from Long Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out. Carl plays. Yep. <laughs> Where the old Tower Records used to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I met him at the Generation Axe thing, and um, he was so nice. I, I like, just like he's, he's a good, he's got a good, like, vibe to him. Totally you know, great guy. Like, like, real spiritual, like, vibey, mm-hmm. vibey guy. Like, and it's so funny, then you go to, well, then Tosin was next, but, you know, I didn't really know. I used to be label mates with him, but mm-hmm. I didn't bring that up. But, <laughs> and then, and then, uh. And then Zach, oh, it wasn't Zach, oh, Ingve was next. And Ingve grabs my record, right? I, I could only, I couldn't find that we, we have a couple of different ones back here. And, uh, and Ingve has a special place in this place's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, long, long you story. You and George. Yeah. yeah. But like, like, uh, so me and George were, I bought these tickets for his birthday and it was like, we were so excited to meet Ingve. And, uh, and he fucking, he takes my, my Odyssey record, right? And he writes, new record on the internet. World on fire. <laughs> Look for it. Listen to it. And I and like like and then he signs his name. And I'm like, you just wrote the name of your new record on an old record. His autograph. It was, it was autograph. He promoted his new album. So funny. And George got him to sign his trilogy shirt. It was so funny. Yeah. And Zach, I got I got to Zach eventually, and he was you know, Zach. The, the, hey man. The the best story that I have is I Pro had. Wrestler. Had this one kid that worked with me for a while at, at Guitar World, like a long, long time ago. And uh, and he was he was funny, he was totally subversive motherfucker, out of his out of his mind. And uh, he was he was more into punk rock and, and whatever and Lou Reed and shit like that. So anyways, he heard that Lou Reed was signing uh, signing at some record store, Lou had come out with something new. So he goes to the signing and he and he and he brings a Lou Rawls record with him. <laughs> <laughs> and he puts it in front of Lou. Oh, Lou he, I, don't th- I don't think Lou, Lou had, had a no great sense of humor. humor. No, no, no. He was, Lou was just like, really? You know, signed his name. signed it. That was nice. <laughs> At least he signed it. David Cassidy didn't sign yeah. mine when I pulled something similar. Uh, I gave uh, him wait. the pump. We got to wrap it. Mutoid Man is going to rehearse. They, is that what's happening over there? Yeah, they, they, they separated out Ben's drum tracks so that Ben doesn't have to come up to rehearsal. Wow. And that they just rehearse to. I like, I, I like the new Mutoid Man yeah, record, by the way. It's amazing. It's very good. I haven't good. heard the new one yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been hearing it for a while. Yeah, I'm sure you've been watching them write. <laughs> I heard it while well. I heard it being written. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're they're, uh, they're going to be they're going to be selling out huge places like Music Hall Williamsburg soon or something. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which in our world is huge. So yeah. They're on their way for sure. <laughs> oh fuck yeah! Yeah, I'm actually touring. Really this will probably be out before we go on tour. Nah, 
we're doing a bunch of shows with them in Boston and Baltimore and here and whatnot. Doing the East Coast with them? I wish we could do the whole thing, but unfortunately, you know. Just pockets. Families. Families yeah. call. Yeah. We waited a year for our record to come out to go on tour. It's pretty pretty brilliant. <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> and on that note, thank you very much, Brad Talinsky. Thanks, Okay. Brad. Thank you, his, guys. Uh, Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Play it loud. Play it loud. Play it uh, loud. You know, help, help keep the guy in business because you know, it's not exactly a multi-million dollar New York, selling, New York Times selling subject. Um, Dude, it's in its fourth printing though already. Is it? Yeah. All right. Fuck that. Actually, it did pretty well. It did pretty well. It did pretty well. I want to say that. That's awesome, nice. man. Well, congratulations. Yep. Congrats, man. Get that documentary made. Yeah. Hoping. Right. Thank you.